In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello, welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Thompson Logic, and today we are starting on an epic journey that's going to span years. We're discussing video game movies, and this show is going to focus on the 80s. We're going to break down The Last Starfighter, War Games, and Tron. That just sounded so serious. And Tron! Tron! Were you talking? Have you guys anybody seen Tron? No. 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 Yes. I mean, no. What is it's from the Simpsons. It's from the Simpsons when there's like one of the Halloween episodes where it was 3D and he's trying to explain what it looked like and he's like, Has anybody seen the movie Tron? And then nobody saw it. Just like you two. I know, just like Tron. I had seen Tron. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm the one who hasn't seen any movies from the 80s. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Hey, yo. And Dr. C, Casey Aline. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show, guys. Three months in a row. Three months in a row, the three of us Woo! have done this. This is unprecedented territory for Outsiders Overrated. Oh, the cat wants to be a part of the show. What's going on, Bear? <laughs> He's just going to bite you instead. Quick moment of the cat on Facebook Live. This is the cat. Say hi, Bear Bear. Get everyone on this desk. Get out of here, cat. <laughs> so, what's new with you guys? Casey, you're coaching football. Yeah, still coaching football. Uh, we have our third game tomorrow uh, versus East Ridge. So, by the time you guys hear this, that will be long over. But uh, so far, we're one and one. Uh, lost our first game, but I'm confident that if we played it again, like this week, if we were playing that same opponent, we would. I'd confident we would win uh, we had a lot of pretty big mistakes in that in that first one that led to a lot of really long touchdowns like a third and 20 that went for a touchdown a fourth <laughs> and 18 that went for a touchdown so and as defensive coordinator would you say that is entirely your fault <laughs> um i have to take some blame absolutely yeah. yeah uh it was also probably the fact that we only had three weeks to prepare for the first game and the kids are learning kind of a completely new system but uh the breakdowns that happened were like after i watched the video back i was like holy bleep like you gotta be kidding me like how how did you not see that happening wait so do you have video of eighth grade football now yeah i want to well one of our coaches just uses his phone and he records um most of the plays and then he sends sends them over, gotcha. to, over to us so afterwards yeah. in real time and you look at it on your surface tablet on the sideline and... no nothing like that nothing like that unfortunately it would be super handy if that were the case but well, you, unfortunately not you say nothing like that like i've been to an egan high football game we're all from small town minnesota i went to egan high football like they have tablets on the sideline like, oh my god this technology is nuts like we didn't even, these things didn't even exist when we were in like high school and now like it's just uh, it's well, crazy sure, yeah i'm sure it's like that where I mean, it's not that hard if they had a cameraman sitting on top of their you know yep. announcing tower or whatever <laughs> you could upload that instantly you could bring it you know send it right down to your tablet and they would have that you know so that's that's awesome and i wish i had that and, and i'm sure it would come in very handy way back in, in high school days as well well if coaching doesn't work out for you like you could be a technology advisor for these schools like you could there's so many schools in the metro area like you could have a productive second career because you're not successful enough with your doctor C. honestly though having seen him struggle with a headset on multiple recordings i don't think he could be the technology guy for anything i apologize 
Saved. Fair enough. Wow, what a moment. What a moment. I've figured that out since then. Come on. Give me, give me a little bit of credit. We will not. Never. Uh, you've also been watching Ted Lasso. How is that? I don't have Apple TV, so like this second season? It came out like a year ago, Second right? season, I think um, they're through nine episodes, so the ten episode comes out next week. It's... If you don't have Apple TV, find somebody who has it, steal their password, because Ted Lasso is one of the best shows I've I've ever seen. Uh, it's just like And you watch a fair amount of TV. I right? do, yeah. And and like it's it's so great. It's just such a feel good, like amazing show. And it sounds crazy, like you know, like you're just so it's a it's a a coach, an American football coach that goes over to England and coaches soccer. You're like, how can that be a TV show? But it's it's more than just the soccer. It's about all the different relationships. It's about the character interactions. It's about I, it, so much more. And every time we watch it, I I laugh, I cry. I mean, it's it's such a good show. And I everybody needs to see it. Let me poke at something right there for just a moment. Now, I think it is well established that Bernsey and I are both passionate people. Like, when we feel emotions, like, they get ratcheted up to 11, whatever it is, like, happy, anger, vengeance. Like, it mm-hmm. all it all is so intense. Are you also an emotional – are you an annoyingly emotional person? Like, are you just good at emotions, too, like you are at freaking everything else on this planet? I, I guess so. If crying during TV shows makes me uh, annoyingly good at emotion, then, then yes. Because <laughs> Ted, Ted Lasso has, has some moments where you can't help but just, like, feel for the characters and, and what they're going through. And it's – it just pulls at your heartstrings. It's it's such a good show, and everybody needs to see it. Yeah. And I'll also say again that if you have PlayStation Plus, they have a promotion right now where you can get six free months of Apple TV. Oh, that would give you more than enough time to binge through both seasons. It says you. It's been a while since you've had a toddler and an infant, my friend. Well, if you don't mind them hearing a couple f bombs, you could watch it while they're sitting on your lap. Well, I mean. I am their father. They've heard it. <laughs> they have heard it. Yeah, there is a uh, one of the characters named Roy Kent. He is my my spirit animal, and uh, if you if you see it, you you'll know because everything. He's just like a kind of grizzled old ex soccer player, and uh, every every single scene he's in is, is great. But he he loves the f word. <laughs> Annoyingly good at emotions. <laughs> Bernsey, what's up with you? I've been really busy with social stuff. So like seeing people in person is awesome, but it takes up more time than like, you know, you're in a pandemic where, you know, you just have all the time in the world. Right. And then work's been busy. Uh, Software upgrades stink sometimes. And that's been my last week. Uh, Otherwise, uh, I've been streaming on Twitch still uh, playing Final Fantasy one and Suicoden two. That's been fun. I've talked about that before on the podcast. I also last week played the new world beta which came out in which which is supposed to come out in two weeks, uh, but it's it's a new MMO made by Amazon Game Studios. It's like the it's actually I think the first game that actual Amazon is putting out, and uh, basically it's an MMO where you're conquistadors uh, in like 1600 ish era. But uh, when you're trying to get to the new world, you actually find a different new world that has all of these mystical things happening on it uh, and this secret power that's there. And once you land there, then it's all about trying to 
uh, get as much of that power and kill as many things as possible. So there's three different factions. You align with the different factions and fight battles with each other. It's pretty fun. It's a more action-oriented RPG. So you're actually like shooting down sights to shoot things. It's not as much like skill-based like Final Fantasy. Uh, so that's an interesting. It's an interesting game. Is one of your powers disease? <laughs> no, no, because so wipe out entire civilizations with it. Because uh, you're because you're fighting against these corrupted things, which are already dead and they're reanimated, oh. and so or they've been like overtaken by this power, and so and and so that's like that's kind of the gist of it. And then people, other people, just like Walking Dead, other people are more dangerous than 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 the evil, right? Because other people are more evil. Amazon has more money than like any other force on the planet. How is it? How's the production of it? It's good. I mean, it's like any game. It still has some bugs that they're hopefully going to be able to quash, but it, it ran for the most part really well. I thought it was fun. I don't know that I'll pick it up because I already have like Guild Wars 2, which I'm playing off and on. Uh, and then Final Fantasy 14 is my main like MMO. And so I'm like, especially since the expansion for that comes out in, in late November, I mean, that's, that's all I'm going to be playing for like a couple weeks at least. So, uh, so yeah, I don't need a new game right now. Uh, I think it's only like 40 bucks though. So if you're interested in MMO and it sounds fun to play something that's more action oriented, I'd recommend it. It's only on PC. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth it. And they might have something where you could do a free trial at some point. Uh, it'd be worth checking out. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. I love MMOs, but if I'm going to play one, it's going to be FF14 again. Yeah. And I still have thousands of hours of content ahead of me. In that yes, you, so yes, you do. <laughs> I, the odds of me playing another MMO other than FF14... In the next 10 years, pretty slim. Not understandable. For me, I turned 40. 40. Casey, you've been here for like five years, right? Like, no, is... I've been here for two years, Tom. Two years. You're even annoyingly good at not getting old. <laughs> <laughs> annoyingly. I uh, had kind of a low-key party. You guys were both able to make it. Thank you very much for coming. I got a new bike, a gaming chair, a couple board games, including Terraforming Mars and Quarriers, the Ultimate Edition with like all the expansions. So excited. It, uh, I don't know. I feel old. Games are fun. I'm pretty sure you guys will like Terraforming Mars and we all know we like Quarriers, so. Yeah, Quarriers is awesome. Looking forward to playing that. Quarriers is awesome. (laughs) Before we get into our show, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you enjoy Outside is Overrated, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That is patreon.com slash OIO. And you can follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me at Tom Sidlachik OIO on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Follow Dr. C at, at Dr. underscore Casey on Twitter and follow the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated video game movies have <clears throat> I'd say a checkered history we uh I envision this being a recurring show for the next couple of years where we focus on a different decade of movies we're starting with the 80s today our first topic is the last starfighter this movie was released July 13th of 1984 directed by Nick Castle It was the second film he directed after Tag, The Assassination Game. Other films he directed include Dennis the Menace and Major Pain. That's quite the mix. (laughs) It is. He was all over the place. I thought this was noteworthy. He wrote Escape from New York, which, of course, I haven't seen, but that's a well-regarded movie, right? Yeah. I believe he also wrote Last Starfighter. 
Uh, this movie starred Lance Guest, Catherine Mary Stewart, and Dan O'Harely. It has a Metacritic score of 67. With each of these three movies, I'll go through a plot summary, and then I thought we would break down the films. Works for me. Let me know if I miss any of the key points here. The movie starts off, Alex Rogan is a kid in a trailer park with big plans for his life. He is going to get out of that trailer park. Mm -hmm. His sense of duty causes him to miss out on a fun day at the lake with his girlfriend and some friends. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) Well, he copes with it by spending his evening playing an arcade cabinet called Starfighter, and he sets the high score record. Shortly afterwards, a stranger abducts him in a DeLorean and replaces him with a body double. Yes. Uh, In transit, he learns that the game was a test, and he is an elite recruit for the Starfighters. His captor, Centauri, brings him to the Starfighter base. He... He gets a like, uh, he learns what starfighters are, and he says, Nope, <laughs> hard pass. And Centauri brings him back home in the DeLorean. <clears throat> he gets back home, and an alien tries to kill him, so he decides to go back to the base. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> the, the big bad blows up the base while he's in transit, so now there are no other starfighters. He is the last one. What it's amazing. How did that happen? Like, how, how, could, it, how could he be the last starfighter? They blew up all the other ones. Oh. They were all just standing around in the hangar. I didn't see that coming. Luckily, a navigator with a prototype ship survives. They decide to team up. And it was the navig- the only navigator he met, too. Yeah, he just stumbled across him yep. while he was uh, trying to figure out how to get out of the space to go back to Earth. Serendipity. I had no idea what that word meant. Fate. Yeah. It is Ka. Destiny. <laughs> uh, the duo, they hide out in a meteor while an armada flies by overhead. As you do. They launch a surprise attack. They do something called a death blossom. The end. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, then he goes home and like everybody knows that he's this awesome guy and he brings his girlfriend back with him on the ship when they leave. Yeah. And she had a real hard time making that decision. It's like, oh, but I can't leave this place. I hate granny. Granny, who was going to shoot, who was going to shoot the guy with a shotgun. (laughs) Granny, put that down. First off, had you guys seen this film before? No, I have not. I had not either. I had, but it had been a long time. I remembered the overall plot and the arcade machine, uh, but that's about it. And then once I saw the characters, I remembered like liking Centauri and Grig. I remember liking them, especially Greg. Like when I saw his face, I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy." Oh yeah, lizard dude, I like him. Yeah, he's a turtle, I think. Right? Is he it a was turtle? a turtle shell on his head. Oh, I thought oh. it was just a lizard. I didn't think it was a turtle shell. I think it's a turtle shell. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about how the aliens look in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned the uh, main actors in this film. Were you familiar with any of their work? I, of course, not watching like any 80s movies. No, not at all. No. No, I hadn't heard any of these guys either. And, you know, I'm absolutely shocked that none of them went on to bigger and better after their stellar performances in this movie. <laughs> well, some of them actually have a lot of credits on IMDb, but nothing that, like, I recognize. <laughs> I went through to see them. Like, do I know any of these guys? Maybe I'm just forgetting their names. And I was looking at the movies. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> these guys. Yeah. Lots of B movies. Lots yeah. of, uh, yeah, other. I'm su- oddly, yeah nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing great. I'm surprised that Centauri wasn't like a real actor because I liked him quite a bit. I have no idea who the actor's actual name was, and I thought the protagonist was fine. Yeah, everybody was fine. They didn't have a lot to work with. I mean, I like this movie. I did too, but we'll we'll get into it. Yeah. Well, how <laughs> this movie released in 1984? How well did it hold up? 
I'll say it, the CGI was a little rough. And, you know, I'll, I'll give it a pass there. Like, technology is just different now. I mean, I was going to say, because I think the graphics actually look surprisingly good for when it came out. Like, because everything's at least clean, right? I think, and, and maybe part of that's just, like, the retouching that they did for the digitization of it. But, like, all the graphics of, like, the ships and everything look pretty clean. It It's very crude CGI. There's not a lot of details to the ships as they're flying around. But I thought it I thought it looked fine, and especially back then it probably would have looked like, oh, that's cool. I still like the look of like Star Wars and using actual like practical effects in the ships more than something like this, but it, it looks good, and especially if it's based around a video game and like he gets taken away to fight in this battle and it's supposed to be like the arcade machine, it makes sense to have it be uh, kind of cheesy, basic CGI graphics that look a little bit better than like what an arcade machine would look back then. And a quick point before we get back to Casey, I thought it was less jarring. I thought the CGI was less jarring in this than in the Dragon's Dogma anime when they would switch to the monsters. It's <laughs> completely different. That's saying something. <laughs> you loved that. I know you loved that. Yeah, I loved it. Casey, how well did you think it held up? Yeah, I, pretty similar to what you were saying, Joey. Like I actually enjoyed the non-CGI well, I don't know. Enjoyed is a strong word, but I I, I disliked it less that <laughs> you know when it, when it was not CGI. Um, and then, but my going into this, my expectations weren't really all that high, so meeting them wasn't that much of a challenge. <laughs> well, segueing from that point, what were the film's strengths? Um, for me, like the the non CGI portions of the film were definitely the strengths. So when it stayed um, actually on the the ships, the ships themselves, I thought were actually pretty cool. the The costumes were not that bad, um, so the acting wasn't really a strength. Some of them were. I thought Centauri, like you said, Centauri uh-huh. was actually a pretty good actor, and and I enjoyed his character. But kind of all the side characters made made me laugh uh-huh. <laughs> quite a few times. Yeah, how campy it, it was. It was campy. It was definitely yeah. campy. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I thought it, it had a lot more humor than I remembered. Uh, and some of the bits are like actually legitimately funny. So one of my favorites is when, so you said that he's replaced by this thing that's replicating him basically. And there's like the time period where it actually has to grow and develop his features. But, uh, so he ends up going down to the lake with all the friends. Um, like the main character never got the chance to, and she gets mad because he's trying to be too like, you know, upfront uh, when they're trying to make out and have fun or whatever. And so then he's overhearing this other guy talk to her and, and like make up with his girlfriend uh, and it works for her. And so he starts just saying these different things. And then he's like, he basically says, uh, uh, all the all the other girls didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> you you mean everything. And then he looks at her and he's like, now you want me to talk dirty to you? <laughs> and of course she's like, what other girls? You know? And then he just basically flips the script and he's just like, I'm an alien from outer space. I'm pretending to be Alex. Uh, I'm just here so that they don't think he's out there and he doesn't get shot. And then he gets shot. And he's like, see? <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like legitimately funny how it just all just bam, 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 so fast. <laughs> I thought it was so just quirky, weird, and funny. Like, I really, really enjoyed this film. Like, I I thought it was a fun ride. And we've talked about Casey and my differing, like, tastes in sci-fi. I like a little campy, and I like a little quirk. I don't think this was really in your wheelhouse. No, and I could definitely see why you enjoyed <laughs> this movie more than I did for for that reason. It, it makes makes a lot of sense. 
I also think that the overall the overall premise of the story is solid and it makes sense like for when it came out and it definitely would connect with kids that would play like in the arcades and stuff like that because it's like oh I could do this you know so it's like a, it plays off of like a gamer's fantasy and gamer adults so I think I think like the premise is pretty good and and it, it does a good job of connecting you to him because he's kind of an everyman right so you could see yourself in the main character. This is kind of jumping to my next point, but I struggled with the premise because it was it felt derivative of Ender's Game. Like I know it went in a different direction, but I'm like, oh boy, I know. Like I've seen this exact setup before. The problem is, I don't know when Ender's Game came out, but that probably actually was written after this. Oh my god, did Ender's Game rip off Last Starfighter? It might have. Keep talking, I'm everyone, get on the I'm internet. Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, as much as I enjoy this film, it had its ups and its downs. Yeah. Let's spend some time talking about the things that drove us crazy. I'll start with this one. The protagonist reminded me a lot of Luke Skywalker. Like, early on, there's a yeah. moment, like, he wants to go to the lake with his friends, and, like, he has to go work on an electrical thing instead. And he's like, ah, oh, but, Mom, I want to go to the power station and get converted with my friends. And then he came back, and his mom's been killed by Tusken Raiders. It was, like, so similar. Yeah. It's a derivative <laughs> of everything. Casey, what does the internet say? Ender's Game came out in 1985. Oh, he saw it and then wrote it. Oh, my God. Orson (laughs) Scott Card. (laughs) How could you do this to me? (laughs) Well, I think the only logical thing we can say is, f*** Ender's Game, you're dead to me forever. (laughs) Last Starfighter is better. I kind of think this movie is somewhat ripped off Tron, too, though, because Tron was 82, I believe. Yes. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of kind of parallels to the beginning of how this worked. Granted, it's a vastly different story. Yes. But like how the story sort of evolved in the beginning, I was like, huh, because I watched this one first, I watched Tron again second, I was like, I saw this like three days ago in a different movie. <laughs> so it's, in the 80s, everybody's ripping everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I hated the protagonist whiny nature. Um, Joey, where did it struggle for you? So a couple of things. Uh I thought the creatures, like once he gets to the starbase and there's the different aliens, uh, other than like the main aliens that he interacts with, all of the other ones looks like they looked like they were rejects from Mos Eisley or Jabba's Palace in the Star Wars <laughs> movies. Like it, they were just not up to par. Like Grig was good, but I think the other ones, it was just like. <laughs> well, something that we often hear about with video games and the struggles that they have is it's, there's only so much time and money. And all those right. characters were set up to die. Like, there were no other plans for them. Yeah. Like, I guess if there's one area that they were going to cut in the movie, like, I'm okay with it. I didn't really, right. I, I totally see what you're saying, but I didn't necessarily have a problem with it since they were all kind of throwaway characters after a scene. Yeah. I mean, another one of the quibbles I had, I, I can understand that because that's costly. Old people would never get that excited about a kid doing well at an arcade game. Oh, I love this. It was funny and goofy and stupid, but they would never care. It's just like, oh, that f***ing Alex is playing the stupid game again. Shut that thing up. That was... Granny would come with her shotgun and shoot it. That was my favorite part in the the whole movie, when Alex was playing The Last Starfighter, and the entire trailer park is there. Oh, Alex is going to set the high score. Everybody, come on. So he's like running up, but everybody's like, oh, man. Oh, he got it. And then everybody's like, oh, man, I I knew it. That kid's going to go places. He's going to do it. I, I said it. He's 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 really, he's something, man. He's going to do it. He's going all the way. And then the girlfriend, like, 
Afterwards, she like breaks down and is like, oh man, he's at the high score. I know he's going to leave me now. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> I'm just, just dying. And then that made me think like, maybe I missed it. I was three years old. Is this what it was like in the 80s? Like you set a high score in a video game and CEOs of companies are calling you like, you got to come work for me. You got the highest score in the video game. Like, I was just dying. I'm like, oh, my God. That was that was the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> it was a very noteworthy scene. I'm glad you guys brought it up. I think the one other thing we do have to talk about is the game, or the movie does kind of glorify kidnapping a bit. Well, he just, like, he didn't offer him any candy to get into the little orange. He didn't, but he's just like, hey, you did really well at that game. You should get in here. Nothing's going to happen to you. He's like, and then, oh, this is my associate. You can't see them because they're shrouded in darkness. Oh, they touched you and shocked you. It's no big deal. Centauri's here to help you. Centauri's your best friend. If someone's talking to you in the third person and trying to get you kids to come into their vehicle, you run away. You run away from that person. Life advice with birds. Yes, this is our public our public service announcement for the for the week. Yeah, uh, the whole getting him to the base and the hard pass. Yeah. Nope, I'm not going to do this. Take me home. Like if I was Centauri, I would have been like, no, <laughs> no, I'm going to go to Mars now. F- you kid. Uh, uh, Casey, you took a little bit of umbrage with the CG in this film. Yeah, I mean it's. It's 1984, so it is what it is. But every time they switched to CG, the movie just got a little bit worse at that point in time. So I, I wish that they would have figured out a way, like their predecessor Star Wars, to not switch over to the CG. I think it would have made a better movie. And it's one of those things where they just... It, for me, it just kind of ruined the overall aesthetic of everything when they switched into that CG and that over-reliance on the CG in certain scenes. Well, just what a difference technology makes. I mean, we live in an era where Hades is just included with your Game Pass subscription. Like, we're used to such a level of polish. Like, I, it's hard to empathize with fans from the mid-80s. And, like, I don't know how long they had to wait between sci-fi films at the theater and before they could get it home on VHS. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of going into our next thing, into the takeaways, I think, too, is that's where, like, for me it really made me appreciate what Lucas was able to do with the first three Star Wars movies and how today you can still watch that and and it holds up for the most part. Same thing with, with Aliens and things like that mm-hmm. where there's these old movies that have, they could have, well, they, they couldn't have, I guess, because when those movies were first out, they didn't rely on that CG. But without movies like The Last Starfighter and Tron, there may not be the CGI that we experience today because somebody had to break that barrier somebody had to start using it and, mm-hmm. and, and it just eventually got better and better and better so i mean you look at it and even george lucas himself in what happened with george lucas <laughs> like from the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy what happened i think it was the over reliance on the cgi like if he would have stuck with the original x-wing fighters and the models and stuff like that well, you could use it, but just using that, but like making all these weird Naboo fighters and like all this stuff, <laughs> like that's what ruined the movie is that that like jump so much into the CGI and reliance on that CGI. I mean, the story itself sucked too, but <laughs> the the CGI that he went to the extents of using that in those movies was a big part of why I did not enjoy those movies as much as the originals. And even episodes seven, eight, and nine, where yes, there was a lot of CGI in there, but it... It looked so much more like mm-hmm. the episodes, 
uh, four, five, and six, where it just wasn't so fake looking. You yeah. know, like, and that's it. Just makes it a much better movie. Yeah, practical effects, if you can do them, always look better. It's just it, it can be so much more time consuming, and it can be to an extent more expensive to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to do it well. And so I think that's part of it. And there's not as many people that do a lot of that stuff anymore, you know, yeah. except for in like the horror genre. Um, but it's, it's different, I think, for bigger productions. Uh, and especially like Disney is so into doing CG now, like with the Marvel stuff. And I mean, the CG and the Marvel stuff all looks really good. So it was something that and that was a, it was a decision that J.J. Abrams made with that to say that we want to get that feel of the original trilogy back to a fault with some of the movies, I think. But yeah, that was something that they really wanted to get. So I can, I can definitely understand that. I think that George Lucas somehow broke his brain in between the original and the prequel trilogy. Well, people change over time. I mean, that's the thing. Like he said, he was making the prequel trilogy for his kids. And so that's why it's more lighthearted. It has like this weird darkness to it at times. Like, I I think that's a lot of the reason. I mean, that's why it has Jar Jar Binks because they needed something for kids to latch on to. Uh, that they would laugh at and would would help carry them through the movie as much as it would carry other people for. It's just when you start trying to make movies for so many people, you're not going to connect with everybody or all of them to the level that you could if you focused it more. All right, let's put it all on the table here. Would you rather rewatch The Last Starfighter three times or watch the prequel trilogy? Casey. Prequel trilogy. Yeah, prequel trilogy because it's been Give a while me since I watched Starfighter three times. Really? <laughs> You really have to pay attention to it the entire time, though, Tom. Yeah, you can't just I, zone out. I really enjoyed this film. Like, the third time, like, that'll be a bit of a slog. Yeah. But I thought this film was a lot of fun. Joey, yeah. your final takeaways. Yeah, I, I, I also agree with you that I thought it was tons of fun, and they did a great job of creating an interesting story and universe while maintaining a lighthearted tone. Like, even for its flaws, I think it, I think it succeeded at that. Uh, much better than, like, especially Tron, which we'll talk about when we get to Tron. I also, my final takeaway on it is I like to imagine the younger brother, Lewis, as what a young Tom was like, saying diarrhea as his brother kissed his girlfriend, looking at the stash of Playboys, and then just generally causing trouble all the time. He wasn't quite foul-mouthed enough to uh, really <laughs> carry it. I, I dislike the little brother. Like I felt like, I don't know, he, he felt like a trope to me out of this yeah. entire movie. He was the <clears> character <throat> that I disliked the most. Like He was... Comic relief just kind of jammed in the face and yeah, diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like, but it's a funny point that you made. Also, f- you, Bernie. <laughs> Tom hates kids. Got it. <laughs> I love kids. I have two awesome kids. And I guess one last thing I'd say, like this was the first time I watched this movie. I still enjoyed it. I think that if you haven't seen the Last Star Friday, you can actually enjoy this film. I will not say that about every movie that we're discussing here. Fair enough. That's understandable. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break from talking about individual movies, and we're going to do our Charisma Check segment on the current state of video game movies. Hey, lovers out there, grab your D20s, because it's time for Tom Awesome's Charisma Check. All right, guys, I can't remember who's actually done a Charisma Check. We've only done it a couple times in the show, but the basic premise is this. Uh... We're going to roll a d20 and we're going to come up with the score for the current state of video game movies. I'll lead us off. I'm going to give 
video game movies a 17 there has been just a litany like a never-ending stream of bad video game movies but each and every time they're like oh this is going to be the one that breaks the mold oh, monster hunter putting the u.s military into this oh, fantasy no. setting no. <laughs> this is going to be the one that breaks the mold so no matter how many times we touch that stove and find out that it's hot like we keep going back to the well and we're always excited to see a new property to see if they can be the one to get it right so i say 17 me first. Uh, so I, I think you're so a 17. If you're doing an actual charisma check against someone is more likely than not going to pass a lot of the time. <laughs> I don't say that that's the current like video. I would say that it should be like a 13. 13 maybe will pass, maybe won't. And right now we're at like an interesting juncture. I will agree. Like two of my favorite video game movies that I've seen are movies that recently came out in Sonic and uh, Detective, Detective Pikachu. Pikachu. Yeah. And so, like, I think they're really good movies and there's a good chance that we could build off of that and get other really good movies that are about video games. There's a lot of them that are in the process of maybe being made. So it's possible that that could be the case. But we could also get some real stinkers in there. Like the Uncharted movie... It looks like it's going to be rough and it's it's going to be rough to the point where like people are going to hate it because Mark Wahlberg is not enough like Sully or or uh, Tom Tom Holland is not enough like Drake. Right. So and that's not going to be oh, it was OK. It's going to be that movie was atrocious and ruined Uncharted for me level. And I think that people are going to rake that movie like a three, a three out of uh, a 20 scale but i i still say that people are going to go see it like people are going to be excited because it's uncharted and it's on the big screen and so i think that video game movies for whatever reason they still have this cachet like people think the next video game movie is going to be the one to break through well but but like tron probably made a buttload at the box office that doesn't make it a better movie I wouldn't say that that makes it a great video game movie or good for video games movie like so i i don't know like i i I, I guess I would still challenge you on that. So that's why I'm at 13, because it's like we're on like a tipping point and like a 13 would maybe pass or it maybe wouldn't pass. And still like, yeah, still got to up those stats a little bit, roll a little bit better on that, I think. Yeah, I am more along the lines of Joey. I'm going to say I'm about a 12 actually on this because it, it, <clears throat> all of us, I've probably actually seen the most of the movies, maybe. And maybe that's why you're so excited, Tom, and that you are still <laughs> at a 17 because yeah. you haven't seen enough of the crappy bad movies <laughs> to smash your, your hopes and dreams of good ones yeah. coming out. Yeah. Yes, I mean, the content is there. There's there's constantly a stream of, of really good video games coming out. But they don't always make good movies. More often than not, they don't make good movies. I had my hopes really set high for the last Mortal Kombat movie. I saw the Mortal Kombat movie. It was okay. It wasn't great. You know, like, it was way better than any of the other Mortal Kombat movies, but, like, I really was hoping that that was going to be something that was going to drive us forward. I saw Detective Pikachu. It was good. I saw Sonic. It was good. But those are more like, those are kids' movies. I need something more in the vein of adult theme video game something that's gonna just like yeah that's what i've been looking for for 20 years like give it to me dang it so that's where i'm on the 12 because 
<laughs> I've been broken and beaten down <laughs> over and over and over uh-huh. again. So until they give me something really, really good that's more adult, that's more action, I just can't get too excited. Uh, first question: Why are you holding your face like that? Like I don't know. Are you having a stroke? Like what's happening? <laughs> I'm looking right at your face. And you're just holding the side of your head. I don't know. I do some weird stuff with, with, my, with my face and my hands every once in a while. Fair enough. And I guess I was coming from, I was speaking as all of nerd pop culture. I feel like there's a perception that the next video game movie, my own personal expectations for any video game movie is far lower than a 17. I just, I feel like there's a public perception that video game movies can be good. And I personally don't, think that maybe it's possible because i don't know you're never going to capture the exact look and feel of a character well so and then the, i guess the other question is is are we just looking at movies or are we also talking about like tv shows because a lot of things that are starting to be developed now are more like tv shows or shorter series like the last of us as a series is being worked on uh, and I think they're doing a Twisted Metal series also. Blah. So, but do those count since it's video games being represented in a like cinematic medium, even if it's not just a movie, it's long. So, cause that, those maybe are a little bit more positive because you're going to have more time with the characters. They'll have time to develop things a little bit more. For the purpose of this show, we're going to completely discount those because okay. this is video game movies. Okay. So we're going to stick to the big screen, and I, I totally agree. Those will probably be better. Yeah, because, like, The Witcher is actually really good. Now, granted, that's the the show is based off the books, not based off the video game. Um, but, yeah, I so movies, I, I'm pretty solid with my 13, I think. Yeah, you guys are probably right. I'm probably too high, but I said it. I'm going to stand by it. It's 17. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move on to our next movie that we're discussing, War Games. War Games released on June 3rd, 1983. It was directed by John Badham. Badham? Probably Badham. Badam. 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 Badam cha. He's directed some other notable films, including Saturday Night Fever, Short Circuit, uh, Stakeout, and Bird on a Wire. Stakeout and Bird on a Wire, those were pretty well-known yeah. movies, right? Short Circuit was Short Circuit. Oh, no, Johnny Five Alive! Yeah, I, uh, I think I've seen that once, and it was about a decade ago. Oh, oh, Short Circuit totally was awesome. Yeah, he, he also kids did the second Short Circuit movie. Nice. Oh, yeah, I have kids. I can rewatch a lot of See, there you go. Now. Look at that. Yeah, you could rewatch Bird on a Wire with them, too. I, I feel like you're baiting me with no, that no, no, one. No, no, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he's done a lot of TV shows, too, including oh. episodes of Psych, Arrow, Supernatural. So hmm. he's uh, he's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of TV shows. He's done a lot of TV movies. He's done some movies. Recently, it seems like he's done a lot more TV shows. War Games stars Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, and John, Casey's favorite, Wood. It has, <laughs> it has a Metacritic rating of 77. Like uh, The Last Starfighter, I'll do a rundown of the plot summary here, and then we'll break, in, break down the different aspects of the film. The U.S. does a drill for its nuclear missile system, and 22% of operators failed to launch. The government decides to pursue a more computerized approach, Matthew Broderick gets in trouble at school. He hacks into the school's computer and changes his grade. It's a real jarring opening. Like <laughs> the first scene, I'm like, "What the hell am I watching yes. here?" Like, where's Ferris Bueller? <laughs> Matthew Broderick gets in trouble at school. Not, not his character name. Matthew Broderick specifically was the one who got in trouble at school. <laughs> yeah, I guess I made a change from character names to actor names. I'm pretty sure I did the exact same thing for uh, Tron. They're they're recognizable people, right? And the other yeah. people weren't. 
Matthew Broderick gets into trouble at school. He hacks into the school's computer and changes his grade. At dinner, he sees an ad for a revolutionary leap forward in video game technology, and he tries to hack into the computers and into, into the company's computer to learn more. Instead, he accidentally hacks into No Red, and he convinces the computer to start World War III. The Air Force arrests him for being a terrorist, and he manages to escape the military base. Yes, he's he's very good at exfiltration. Yeah, the best. So then he goes on a quest. I said so. I did so good up until that point. <sighs> Saying so all the time. I want to only hear in native. I think everyone loves when we sing. I think so too. Yeah, I love when we. But sing. that turned into like cat singing at the end. Meow meow meow. Meow meow. If you had to sing one song beginning to end as a cat, what would it be, Casey? Uh, Weezer. Say it ain't so. I'm gonna go with uh, Eric Clapton. Wonderful tonight. Meow 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 meow. <laughs> Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. I seriously can't think of anything. Oh, my God. This is the best show we've ever done. I'm crying. Off the rails. I love Wonderful Tonight. It's a wonderful song. And the thought of singing Meow, meow, meow. Meow, meow, meow. Oh, it's too bad we stopped the live. <laughs> That's all right. That's life. After he escapes, he goes on a quest to track down the original programmer for the computer. He convinces the computer that the only winning move in nuclear war is not to play. Through tic-tac-toe. Through tic-tac-toe. I think that's the only way that we can learn things. Yes. We'll start with the same first question. Had you seen this film before? I had not. I thought I'd watch it at some point in school for something. No, it was a completely fresh experience for me. Ah, yeah, I I had seen this one uh, quite a while ago, but so I vaguely re- remember certain parts of it. I really remember the last scenes where they're in the NORAD facility and and Joshua had simulated the launching of all the nukes and all mm-hmm. the different lines around the screen and everything going into to, to zap the entire world and then uh, playing tic tac toe like we discussed to to crash the system in the end. That's what I. That's what I mostly remembered about it. Yeah, I'd seen I've seen it multiple times before too, and I remember like the ending a lot, especially because I remember I liked it because the simulations ended up looking like Missile Command, and I really yeah. liked that arcade game uh, when I was a kid, or the Atari game too. And I also remember liking the whole like, because especially back then, the magic of hacking and how he hacks into things is just like, whoa, people can because this is like before like dial-up internet even when I would have seen it. And so it was just like, holy crap, to the point where it seems like that was like far out and there's no way that someone could actually do that. Now I know it's like, oh yeah, I'm sure people did that all the time back then. Mm -hmm. And they didn't get caught probably either because people didn't know that this would happen and have ways to track it. So, so yeah, I do remember those aspects of it. I did going into seeing it again. And which members of the cast were you familiar with? I already Sad mind, Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, he's a big time actor. Does he still do stuff? I can't remember the last thing I saw him in. He does a lot of voiceover stuff now in, uh, he's like Bojack Horseman. Um, Never saw He it. does that one. Um, he's in, uh, I'm drawing a blank now, but um, what's the one that Brian dressed up as Halloween? The, the... Oh, he was in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? No, uh, no not <laughs> Archer. that. Archer. <laughs> that one, yes. So he, he's been uh, <clears throat> some characters in that. He does, Never he, he does a lot of, of voice that. work now. I think more the, than, last, more than movies. the last big thing he did was 
he was on the movie version, but also the Broadway version of The Producers with Nathan Lane. Sure. That was like the last big like blockbuster thing he did, I think. I remember when he was Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That movie was very mediocre. <laughs> yes, it was. I watched it at Paradise Theater in Mora. I loved that cartoon, though, as Paradise a kid. Theater. Yeah, everyone. Do, 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 do. Inspector Gadget. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yes, I love you guys. I wasn't familiar with anyone else from the cast. I'm aware that Ali Sheely was a pretty big actress. Yeah, she- as a children of, or a child of the 80s, that you could not go anywhere without seeing Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy most of the time. Yeah, she was in The Breakfast Club, which we talked about last podcast. I've seen that once. Here's a weird tangent to go down. Am I a child of the 80s or a child of the 90s? I was born in 1981. Like, most of my pop culture that I think of, like Ninja Turtles, early 90s. Like, I identify as a child of the 90s. Well, if you identify as a child of the 90s, I should be too. I was born in 80, so, I mean, we're not that far off. But, I mean, I remember so much more from the 80s. Like, I remember tons of movies tons of show or tons of songs like i mean that's what i remember from my childhood more than the 90s my 90s were obviously a giant part too but when i look it back at a lot of these would gi joe fall yeah. 80s or 90s because i was huge into gi joes and like wwf long before I it became think WWE. gi joe was late 80s because yeah. that was in transformers too if He-Man. you're into transformers those were all like late 80s uh, He-Man 2, uh, nope. I think that tapered off more as it started to get into the 90s. So yeah, so if you remember those types of things, you are. But if you associate a little bit more with like the 90s stuff, uh, I, I, for me, it's like I have a terrible memory anyway. But like I remember a lot of the music, like listening to a lot of music in the 80s. And so I associate a lot with like 80s music, which makes me feel sad now that it's oldies. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, yep, I am old. Uh, uh, I am very old, so... Yeah, what well, what a weird thing. I guess I'm a child of the 80s. I recently did a social post where I said, as a child of the 90s, and I had a funny joke about my daughter who was, uh, I don't know. What She's a, a child of the 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, I mean, obviously I knew Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. I also always liked the guy who played McKittrick, Dabney Coleman, who was in a lot of different things uh, back then, and I always... He he would sometimes play the bad guy. Usually play the bad guy, but sometimes play a good guy. And I always liked him in different things. Uh, I think he was actually in the TV show Soap, which I enjoyed a lot. Which I don't know, probably wasn't something I should like, but it was basically a comedy sitcom that made fun of soap operas, uh, which I enjoyed a lot. Watching it again, I was surprised that the very starting scene has John Spencer, who has been in like lots of westerns. But I know him from the West Wing TV show. He played Leo McGarry in the West Wing. So I instantly recognized him. And it took a while. But then I recognized that his partner was Michael Madsen. I did not realize that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right, that dude looks familiar. Yeah. He was my, Mr. Blonde himself was sitting oh. there. And, uh, and I was just like, okay, that's crazy. And then, like, the head general... I've seen him. He was in lots of different movies as a character actor. The guy who was in charge of the FBI was always like that shifty evil guy in a lot of different 80s movies. So I remember seeing like all of them from things. So it like took me back to, okay, I remember these guys. I remember seeing them in like a lot of different things at that time in my life. So pretty big cast. Yeah. How well did this film hold up? I think it holds up pretty well. I, I, did love that the password to the nation's defenses was the name of the program <laughs> creator's son. Yeah. Like, so, so that part, like, 
you know, our password security has obviously uh, improved quite significantly since then. Yes, yes. But uh, other than that, I mean, it was. It, I think it held up really well. The the computers were you know, all really old and things like that. And, but it's for an eighties movie moving forward. Like it, it it held up really well, and I still still enjoyed most aspects of it. Yeah, Falcon was a genius. Just you know, he didn't care about internet security at that point apparently you know yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> well there was no internet yet well and people didn't protect their their, their uh back doors like they do now so you gotta protect that back door I, especially in the 2000s now and after i'm not <laughs> taking the bait i'm not doing it <laughs> i'm not doing it uh patrick you better watch that back door <laughs> <laughs> i think this movie holds up in that i think the subject matter still is prescient today uh, now, granted, we're not in the middle of a Cold War, so that's like a little bit different. But the whole like cybersecurity attack possibly taking like major parts of our country down or taking over something or misinforming people like is very prescient with today. And so you can kind of connect it to that still uh, on a certain level. And so I think it still makes sense. And technology has only become more and more of a part of our life. And so I think that's an interesting aspect, even watching it today, that you can still connect to it with. I agree with both of your points. The technology definitely looks dated, but the themes of computer learning and computer gamers being nerds both still hold up today. That is true, too. Yes. Yep. What are this film's strengths? I thought it was really thought-provoking, and I did not expect that from a movie about video games, or even tangentially related to video games. From the initial drill to Broderick wishing he didn't know that the world was going to end in eight hours, like, I thought, I just... This movie made me think, and I really appreciate that out of a film, and I didn't expect it from a film from 1984. The, the beginning especially was just like, holy crap, does this just drop you into what the, the seriousness of the subject matter? And I completely forgot about that part of the movie. So I was just like, holy crap, what's going on? I don't remember this at all. Well, let's put ourselves in that spot for a moment. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could have launched a nuclear missile. Like, right. I don't think that I would have actually, I would have been part of that 22%. Like, I don't think that I could erase that many people off the planet and i'm thankful that as a writer that will probably never be a situation that i end up in and casey would you have been michael madsen sitting in the back with a gun pointed at the back of tom's head <laughs> turn your donkey <laughs> turn it no. <laughs> i really don't think i could either honestly like i don't know how anybody in that in that job yeah. could do it unless you knew 100 percent that nukes coming your way were imminent you know that's the for 100 right 100 sure but these guys yeah if you don't know and you're just getting alarms coming off at you and you're going through protocol there's no freaking way i could do that yeah and it's interesting because at first it's the new guy who's michael madsen is just sort of like holy shit you know and this is like i can't believe this is happening and and like the detail of like seeing the other guy the older guy the grizzled vet and just the sweat beating up on his forehead as he's staring at the key and he's just like how how did this actually happen you know uh, I, I don't know i think they did a really good job with setting things up i think overall the acting is really good yeah. uh, matthew Broderick is probably the weakest actor out of all of them like he he has a hard time he just sounds so cheesy all the time. And so, like, I don't know. I, I, I struggled a little bit with his performance, but it still didn't deter me from the rest of the movie. I think otherwise everybody else did a really good job of getting into their characters and, and playing it up a little bit, uh, a little bit as time went on. And so I, I enjoyed that. I like Matthew Broderick a lot. The only time I thought that he got a little too cheesy when he was talking about how he desperately wanted to learn to swim when yeah. the nukes were coming. It's like, okay. Like, <laughs> 
swamp swimming out to something else and i'm with you here kid. <laughs> right right you're on the beach you know have a good time yeah. i mean granted that would have been much more awkward to be caught you know from falcon in the helicopter with the spotlight as he's you know mounting ali sheedy you know uh that, that would have been a little bit more rough than just trying to go for a swim and what an awkward voyeuristic moment for falcon too because like they're on the beach together sharing a moment and like he shows up in the helicopter and they start running yeah. like they're gonna be abducted by yeah. aliens and then like he lands he's like and then he gets on the intercom he's like yeah. it's fine let's yeah. go let's yeah. go to norad before that he's just sitting with that dude. Yeah. before that he's just sitting there like and then he's like, oh, yeah. And then it's just like the helicopter, you know, running around. And <laughs> I agree that the acting was also very good in this movie. <laughs> uh, it definitely, of the three that we watched, the acting in this movie was, was by far the best. And I think the writing, too. I, I think was by far the best in this movie also. Um, I mean, overall, this was the best package, and I don't yes. think it's particularly close. No. no. And the voice for the computer is iconic. You know, the shall we play a game? Like, is is just like, that's movie history. If you were doing like memorable, like the top 100 memorable moments like that, that is one of them for me, I would say easily. A lot of highs in this movie. What points drove us crazy? I'll kick us off. I thought it was a little dopey how he just like escaped yeah. from the military base. He was like, oh, he just crawled through the vents. Yeah. Cool. He's very solid snake like. Oh, very, very Ferris Bueller like. True. Mm. Yes. Did Ferris Bueller crawl through vents? No. What? No. He is like an escape artist, though. In he, fact, yeah. he was able to just kind of slip into his surroundings and yeah. assume different personalities. And yeah. Oh, thank goodness there was a tour group there, so he could just look like an everyday kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like nowadays, like, or you would think that in the Cold War, like he would have been bayoneted. Like at that point, it's just like, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? You strayed too far away. Although I did really like, and they would never do it, I don't think. But when they had the city of Birmingham there, and he had the city, the gal sit down at the desk, and he'd be like, just press that button right there, just press that button. She hits it, and it's like, he's like, oh no, why'd you hit that button? And then it's like, oh look, welcome city of Birmingham. It's just like, it's so, I don't know, it's funny. I, I I like the movie. I, I think that was weak. Uh, the fact that he was able to easily get to see Falcon, who's supposedly assumed a different identity. But then the moment like he says his name, he's just like, oh, yep, that's me. You know? It's just like a little convenient how, how easy. And then she just shows up. It's like, how much would a flight from Seattle or she drove, right? She drove, but still it's just like, and how did she pay for the flight for you? Like there's some, there's some plot holes, but yeah, there's a few. It's a fun movie. I still like the movie yeah. a lot. I yeah. still, it's still a lot of fun. No, I couldn't think of anything. Like you couldn't think of I, a single I, thing to poke in this movie. Well, when you bring up plot holes, sure. But it's it, overall though, the movie was, was enjoyable. When you, when you look at this, in a broad spectrum, every single movie that you watch is going to probably have some sort of a oh, yeah. plot hole like that that you could poke at. So, I mean, the fact that he was able to hack into the government system itself by just using this dude's password through his bedroom computer itself uh-huh. is a giant plot hole. So we could nitpick little things like this all day, but it doesn't take away from the overall enjoyment and fun of the movie. Well, we've got all day. Let's do it. Let's and, find every little and nit. the fact that Ali Sheedy was that into him, I mean, yeah, that's right. come on. There were better people. The nerdy kid who skips class all the time just because they both got an F. That's yeah. what brings them together. How'd she know the dog's name? 
<clears throat> do they have like a previous relationship? Mm, good, like, good one. like what's I don't know. Like, not her and the dog. I didn't mean that. <laughs> we know you didn't good mean boy. That. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're off the rails here. Final takeaways. I thought this film was really good. I mean. It's a good movie. It's still fun today. Having never watched it before, I really enjoyed watching it, and I would recommend it to pretty much anyone. I thought for the time, for them to be able to take two vastly different topics that were, at the time, huge, you know, nuclear war, um, Russian scare, Cold War, that sort of thing, and then the popularity of video games, and then somehow mesh them together Mm -hmm. to make a story that not only made sense, but was also enjoyable to watch uh, kudos to them uh, it's super impressive uh, so I, I would also highly recommend it to everybody uh, less so the actual games that were made about war games um, I played the one on PlayStation uh, came out in 1998 it was called war games Defcon 1 and you were basically you drove around a vehicle or a tank and just shot a bunch of things but the PC version apparently was an actual RTS and that seems like it would be more interesting. But the games both take place 20 years in the future, and Whopper has found a way to, like, try to initiate World War III again. And so you're commanding either the Whopper troops to try to, you know, carry it out, or the NORAD troops to fight it. Interesting. And the computer being called Whopper, like, Burger King paid for that, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall a lot of product placement in this, and it wasn't spelled W-H-O-P-P-E-R, but they had to have paid for that, right? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Or the candy. Whopper candies. <laughs> No, get Whopper candies the f*** out of here. We're, this is a serious conversation. Whopper candies are like S-tier. I love Whoppers. S-tier. Very have yes. you ever had Maltesers? I have not. Maltesers are like Whoppers to the next really? level. They're, uh, they're made by Mars, and they are oh. uh, big in Europe, in like Great Britain. Huh. Outside is overrated, where we break down backdoors and mouth teasers. <laughs> Mall, mall teasers, not mouth teasers. Sound like mouth if, teasers. If you want to talk about mouth teasers, well, that, that's a whole different topic, Tom. Malt, as in malt teasers, malt teasers. Yeah. Do you bring malt teasers in your back door, Casey? No, no, I did not, Thomas. It's okay. It's okay if you did. No judgment here. This is a judge-free office. We broke birds. Oh, boy. <laughs> Mouth teasers. <laughs> Before we break down our third and final movie today, we're going to talk about our top five war games. It's time now for... The final Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, here we go. Top five war games, war video games. Number five, Medieval Total War. Like the mini- the Total War games are awesome. Like they're universally great. I fell off after uh, Medieval, so I haven't played Medieval two. I haven't played uh, the Fantasy one, Warhammer. I have. Mm-hmm. So I know those games are awesome. Out of the ones I played, Medieval was my favorite, and that's why it cracks my list at number five. Shogun was always my favorite of Shogun those games. Shogun was awesome. Yep. I never played Shogun two, but I spent a lot of hours with the original. Yeah. Uh, a fun. <laughs> Just quick aside on medieval Total War, I played as I believe Ireland, and they're on a little island, <laughs> and so I built up these great defenses. I didn't marry off my progeny, and so my game ended. <laughs> I didn't have an heir. Nice work. Yeah, 
Yeah, I apparently I'd suck at war. Thank goodness I'm a writer. <laughs> writer. Crusader the Crusader King series has kind of picked up that mantle, though it's a little less war and more just focused on the whole building up resources and progeny stuff, which is interesting. Yeah, and Crusader Kings three recent release it is on game pass yeah. i've had it on my computer forever i should check it out i messed around with it a week ago for a little bit it's fun it's interesting it's it's complicated though number four this feels like cheating a little bit but i <laughs> listed axis and allies and i listed axis and allies because the rogue hippo pat deguise finally you made it in the show i've been waiting all day for you but the rogue hippo had a cd-rom copy and we played it at the cabin just endlessly like we'd uh team up as one side or the other and we put so much time into access and allies i've never actually played the board game but oh, the computer okay. version of it was awesome see i thought you're talking about the board game because uh, i've played the board game quite a few times but i've never never played the computer version of it um pretty good though you like it yeah loved it it's been a while since i played it probably eight ten years but i'm willing to bet it still holds up yeah and like you don't there's no like tedious resource management because the computer just figures it all right which is nice uh, I, I would say I would highly recommend playing the board game because it is fun. Uh, I think you do need to play with five players, uh, which is the player count. So each side is represented. Otherwise, it can get a little one sided. Uh, also, I would highly recommend not doing what we did once and try to make it a drinking game where <laughs> if you did a low, mid or high scale attack, you would have to take either a it was a, it was either a beer, a mixed drink or a shot that was themed for each of the five countries. So for like the shot for Japan was sake Uh, for Russia. It was vodka. Of course, U S it was whiskey. Uh, And and, we had this whole elaborate set of rules. We got like a third of the way through the game and the people that weren't interested in playing the board game were too drunk to care about finishing. (laughs) And it just kind of tailed off after that. And I got the old hobby box burn soft finish. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> Number three on my list, Defenders of the Crown. Have either of you guys ever heard of this game? Defenders no. of the Crown. I maybe have heard the title. Sounds familiar, but I have no idea what the game's about. This is the first video game I ever fell in love with. I remember playing it uh, sometime between like first and fifth grade on the PC at my parents' house. I have no idea how we bought this game because my parents didn't really support gaming uh but i just i pulled the description of the game and it's such a thing for my childhood the game is set in england in 1149 during the middle ages where following the death of the king different factions are fighting for territorial control the player assumes the role of a saxon uh, i'm not going to list all their names and tries to fight off the norman hordes and wrestle for control of england eventually the player must fight for control of all territories and potentially those controlled by other saxons if they have become antagonistic the player must amass armies and fight for control of opponents castles the player may engage armies in battle and loot or lay siege to opposing castles hmm. territories can also be won in the periodic jousting contest <laughs> from time to time the player may attempt to rescue a damsel in distress and can appeal for help from the legendary bandit robin hood interesting that sounds like a lot yeah it, it was a lot it was a very ambitious game for a, a small computer game and uh man i sunk a lot of time into this there were just random elements it was the first game made by a company called like cineware and they tried to bring a more cinematic approach to video games huh uh jousting Firing a catapult at castles. Like, there are just a lot of small things that were super duper fun in this game. Defenders of the Crown. I should look and see if I can find a digital version of it anywhere. I'm sure there's something on the internet somewhere. I hope so. 
Number two, Hearts of Iron 2. I've uh, had this game on Steam for a while. I put a lot of time into it. It's a World War II game, and for whatever reason, maybe I'm just broken, but I love, I f***ing love playing as France and seeing how long I can survive the Blitzkrieg. <laughs> like, I know it's a lost cause, but, like, I, I try so hard to research technology, get all of my stuff upgraded. It's like, can I survive it all? And eventually, every time I play this game, the Germans just roll over me. Oh, it's yeah. like they flip a switch, and it's game over. And it's like... But the next time, the next time is going to be the time I break through and one of my territories is going to survive. I think I only played as, uh, I, I think I only played Hearts of Iron once. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but I believe I was the Netherlands and I definitely did not last very long because I just thought it'd be fun to play as a small country and see what would happen. Yeah, I played as Poland and tried to, I, like, for whatever reason, I like to try to survive the German onslaught. I don't know what it is. I played as the US. I, I played this game a lot. I played it with Rogue Hippo a bit. I, I played as south american countries <laughs> and some of them have like really isolationist policies so like you can't get involved in like foreign <laughs> affairs until like you incrementally shift their political viewpoint from isolationist to uh more uh whatever the other end of the spectrum Interesting. is one other so, time i played it as nationalist china and it's interesting because you have to fight off the Japanese as well as the communist revolution uh, from happening, which I thought was interesting, too. Oh, yeah. In France, there's all these revolutions, too. So, like, you have to, in addition to upgrading your technology and trying to update all your antiquated troops from World War One, like, you also have to invest in military police and put them in different provinces <laughs> to squash the rebellions. Viva la revolution. <laughs> Hearts of Iron 2. I know there's a Hearts of Iron 3 that's out, but 2 is such an amazing game, and you can probably get it for dollars on Steam. It's probably. It's clunky and weird, but super awesome. Um, honorable mention, I listed the rest of the Total War franchise because those games are universally great. Like, if you're interested in a war game, like, find the one there that matches your interests and you'll probably have a good time. RTS games in general, I've always enjoyed the RTS genre. I know that it's kind of died off, but I think the games are super fun. And that brings me to number one, the best war video game, StarCraft. I love StarCraft. It's uh, it's sci-fi, it's war, it's got a compelling story. Just a timeless classic. See, I, I've always been, I, I haven't, I've played a little bit of StarCraft and StarCraft 2. I've always been much more of a fan of WarCraft 2. Uh, I think WarCraft 2 is my favorite RTS. Uh, WarCraft 3 was just missing a little bit there. I, I don't think I've ever finished WarCraft 3, but I've played the crap out of WarCraft 2, and I think it's phenomenal. Warcraft 2 was also one of like my foundational video games. I remember the first time that I saw it being played, I was at a Knowledge Bowl tournament, and somebody <laughs> had a laptop, and they were playing World of Warcraft 2. I'm like, oh my god, I have to have this. With the fog of war, and like and he showed me cheat codes to like remove the fog of war and to turn on God mode, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. World of Warcraft 2 is awesome. Probably should have had it on my list, but, you know, it's all cast in stone now. My favorite Knowledge Bowl video game-related moment was they asked a random question. I think it was it was something about medieval troops. Uh, what was their name? And based on what it was, it clicked to me. And my Final Fantasy brain clicked in. I slammed the buzzer. I was like, Dragoon! Dragoon! I was so excited because, like, my knowledge of Dragoons <laughs> from Final Fantasy, like, paid off. And I love Dragoons. And so, yeah, and I, I got the points, but I got yelled at for yelling a little bit. But, yeah. <laughs> We're passionate people. My favorite knowledgeable moment, uh, they said Robin Hood, and I buzzed in, and I said, Maid Marian, and I was right. <laughs> anything connected with Robin Hood. Yeah. I, Nicely done, Tom. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. Casey, you're a very smart guy. Why weren't you a knowledgeable? Uh, I don't know. I was in a lot of other stuff. Yeah, you were in sports, you were in drama. Choir, pop group, all that. 
So yeah, all the things that was, you're annoyingly good at. Lot, yeah, I wasn't a lot. Didn't have a whole lot of time for anything else. I was even an FFA for a little while. You don't have animals. I do. I don't know. It was more probably just to get out of school and go down to the University of Minnesota for whatever day they were like judging soil and shit. You don't have animals. But there's I, other stuff. There's no other stuff. Yes, there's like what I did was judging soil. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take soil samples and I don't know, figure out something. It was a long time ago. I, I don't remember. I was. I was Probably some girl that I thought was cute in it. That, or something that's usually time. how it I don't is. know what happened. And that's why I went to the National Catholic Youth Conference because a cute girl was going. <laughs> and that ended up being a really interesting chip. But I was also in Future Leaders of America for a little bit. Uh, it was like a year after they rebranded from Future Homemakers of America so that they could be more inclusive to guys. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Way to get caught up in the market. It was dumb. I don't even remember what I did there. I don't even remember what it was about. I went once and that was it. <laughs> Four each for life, yo. <laughs> what did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Tom Sidlachik OI or email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Hey, Tom, the other day I was driving around Los Santos listening to my sweet 80s playlist looking for pros to rob when all of a sudden, BAM! I ran into a bus, hit three or four people, smashed into a telephone pole, drove off an overpass. I couldn't believe it. Now the car I stole blew up and broke, and my neck and back are a mess. Is there anybody you know that can help me? First off, well done, my friend. That was awesome. Busted. <laughs> Secondly, Wasted. you should check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, pro-robbing injuries, thank you, and more. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest seeing Dr. Cuvillo in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Our final topic today is the movie Tron, released in July of 1982, directed by Steven Leesberger. Other films directed, I'm going to read the entire list here. Animal Olympics, Hot Pursuit, which had John Cusick and Ben Stiller, and Slipstream. This movie starred Jeff Bridges, Bruce Boxleitner, and Cindy Morgan. It has a Metacritic score of 58, which is too generous, and it's not even the worst movie we're going to talk about on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Before we savage this film, I'll run through the main plot points. <clears throat> There's a weird opening sequence where computer programs are humanized. Jeff Bridges' computer program gets captured, and evil CEO locks out all programmers of a certain level. One locked-out programmer warms Bridges, who used to work with him and date his girlfriend. The love triangle plans a virtual heist so Bridges can find the proof that he invented arcade games and should be CEO. I swear to God, this is what this movie is about. <laughs> Bridges gets digitized by a giant laser. Bridges is forced to compete in digital hunger games. <laughs> I love that. He escapes with two other programs. They are chased. The other dude's program does something... <laughs> And, and then I fell asleep. I'm pretty sure Bridges got out of the computer. <laughs> Do I miss any key plot points? Quite a few. Maybe a little bit. But, I mean, you know, the, one, the one guy he was, the one program he was talking to was Tron, which is the namesake of the movie. Uh, yeah, kind of important. It kind of, is it important? Like, it, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a name. Like, did Tron do anything? Like, Tron was trying to communicate with his user. Like. Right, because it was to try to stop the, the master control program. I agree with you, though, Tom, on, yeah. on this point. I mean, true. I, I'm going to talk about it later, but yes, I, I honestly don't know why this movie was named Tron. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool word. First off, had we seen this film before? Clean sweep for me. Nope. <laughs> I, I had seen this. It's been a really, really long time, and I remember back when I saw it thinking that all the CG and everything was really cool. 
Isn't it funny what dumb kids we were? Joey, had you seen this before? Yeah, I, I'd, I saw it a few times back in the day. Uh, light cycles and disc battles, like that stuff I remember being cool. And uh, seeing it again, I remember the guys drinking water from a Frisbee because I, I just thought was, that was interesting. It wasn't water. It was energy, dude. I, I couldn't. I, I honestly, I rewound it to try to hear what they said. And I didn't catch it. So I was just like, I don't know what it is. It energy, just looks like water. Yeah. <laughs> like power or something. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clean source. <laughs> Which cast members were we familiar with? Casey, I'll start with you on this one. Just Jeff Bridges for me. Uh, Jeff Bridges is one of the greatest actors of all time. And I, I have I, actually seen movies that Jeff Bridges is uh, in. I, what? I love Jeff Bridges. He's like, I, he's one of my favorite actors. Uh, if if you guys haven't seen Hell or High Water, it haven't. came out probably five or six years ago now. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's such a great movie. Uh, it's basically the premise is um, there's two brothers one of them just gets out of prison. Their farm, their family farm, is being taken away by banks in in Texas. So it's kind of like true to life back back then. Um, and these brothers start robbing robbing banks. So they they rob from the bank that is trying to take their farm away, and then they pay back the loan with the money that they just <laughs> robbed from the bank. So and then Jeff Bridges plays the uh, like one of the uh, the marshals that is that is trying to to find out who they are and the the movie is fantastic so anybody who who hasn't seen it, i definitely should just recommend seeing it uh, big lebowski cult classic i mean he's phenomenal in that movie um hopefully most of you've seen that if you haven't seen his version of true grit where he plays rooster obviously he's phenomenal in that too uh and then he won an academy award for best actor in crazy heart so i mean the guy is he's a legend so yeah, I've heard of Jeff Bridges. I've seen one of those movies. <laughs> you should see them all. They are all very good and all very different. I mean, yeah, the, the, which speaks to to him. You know, his ability to portray different types of characters is 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 awesome. I had never seen him as a young man before. I thought that was interesting. His character reminded me of a cross between Han Solo and Star Lord. Yeah, he just yeah. had like this quirky charisma kind of roguish charm to him. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely yeah. see that. We're okay. Other other than uh, other than Jeff Jeff Bridges, I recognized. I thought I recognized from the way he looks the main bad guy who's played by David Warner. Um, I thought he looked familiar, but when I looked through his IMDb, I couldn't recognize what movie I think I would have seen him in. So he would be the one that I would. He is the only other one that I really recommended. Now, generally on this show, I don't like to delve into the negatives. So this is going to be a hard thing to answer. How well did this film hold up, Casey? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hated every time it went full CG. Similar to the last Starfire, that was the weak point of the movie. Uh, I wish they would have figured out some way to use props or some other means uh, when they were inside the grid, especially, because that's mostly when it went full CG. Other than that, I don't know. There's not not a whole lot of positives besides Jeff Bridges. <laughs> uh, the story itself ended up being a little bit more boring than I remember. Mm-hmm. I, I too had fell asleep actually during several parts of the parts of the movie and had to stop and rewind after I woke up to catch up again. I didn't. Uh, I didn't stop and rewind. I just kept the train going. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, it, it wasn't as good as I remember when I was a kid. Yeah. So I'll agree with you that it was a lot 
more rough and the story was not nearly as interesting as I thought it was watching it again. Uh, the color palette, I think, gave it a stylized look back then, but it just looks fuzzy and gross now. It's the coolest part to me in this movie was that helicopter in the very beginning. You remember that? that the Intercom. The, yeah, and it's like the helicopter was blacked out and it had the lights on the side. Like I was just I'm like, wow, that thing is really awesome. Like <clears> They would have been able to pull more elements like that into the actual game portion of this like that that would have been cool to me though i would say though like i think it had to be cg based upon like that was the whole premise of it is that you're inside this you're inside this computer and like this company made all sorts of things they made like some of the arcade because the arcade they made the arcade game that he was playing right i believe is the whole like part of the premise well he designed it and then the evil ceo stole it and that's right. how he became ceo because he had this money making arcade cabinet right right and so see i watched this film. yeah see and so i think <laughs> like i think everything needed to have that style and that's the most those are the things that were iconic about the movie like the light cycle stuff I think was awesome. Uh, like the CGI, like by today's standards, don't look good uh, at all. It doesn't look great. But by the standards of then and trying to make something that looks like an arcade, but better, like I think everything was phenomenal. And the design of like how the light cycles worked were really cool. I think the whole disc fight that they had at that one point was awesome, as well as the kind of Pong fight where the, the rings went away. The highlight battle, yeah. I think, yeah, the highlight battle, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff was really cool. Where it fell off was just all of the other crap in between where they're just, like, moving from place to place slowly or Lord knows what's happening. There's a lot of trekking across Middle Earth in this film. Yes, there yeah. is. And it's not done nearly as efficiently as it was done in those movies. Agreed. I I don't think this film held up at all. Frankly, I thought it was awful. I hated the humanization of the computer programs. I hated the virtual world. I hated the color palette. Like there, for me, the strength of this film and the only strength, the only highlight of this film was Jeff Bridges' face. <laughs> <laughs> then you're gonna love Tron Legacy too because you get to see young Jeff Bridges in that movie too. It's CGI young Jeff Bridges, but. It's, it's young face Jeff Bridges in that one. <laughs> I would watch that movie based on your recommendation. But, uh, I think, Joey, you talked about some of your other highlights from this film with the disc and the, I don't know how to say the word. Highlight. Highlight. Um, I think the premise is interesting, too, where people's personalities are represented in the code that they create. And then one person getting sucked into the machine and how that is different if they're an actual person that's in there compared to like just these programs that are doing things that they're programmed to do. I, I think that's an interesting idea. Uh, I just don't think there was enough of an interesting story wrapped around it or, or enough, enough points that were happening in the movie that were really that intriguing. I think the way so getting into what drove me crazy, because I think we're through all the positives probably, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. This movie to me is like Avatar in that it I've rode that the movie. it rode the coattails of having a revolutionary look at the time but the story itself was not interesting at all and was not well done and I think that I think that's what Tron is it was riding the coattails of being this really cool like CG this is like looking at the arcade stuff and it's in real life and this is so cool 
Uh, and and now that that doesn't look cool anymore, you just see the crappy movie that it is. If you don't see Avatar in the theater in 3D, you don't get the coolness factor of what Avatar is, and you just get a cruddy movie with a bunch of blue people and a bunch of stereotypical military types that are fighting each other, and it's boring and stupid. A couple of points. First off, 3D sucks. I was never a fan of 3D movies. The only one that I enjoyed for the 3D effects was Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I know Casey hates with a fiery passion. <laughs> Point- I actually like that movie. Oh, I thought you liked the book, but you hated the adaptation for the movie. No, I like. I actually thought it was pretty, like, I mean, it's not my favorite movie of all time, but, like, I'd say it's like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, fun fact about Avatar is one of my first dates with Phoenix was seeing it in 3D. Uh, and point number three, I like that movie. Grant, I haven't seen it since the theater, but uh, I, I remember it was long, but I remember enjoying it. I never saw it in the theater. I watched the first half of it, and it just didn't grab me. Huh. Because uh, it's just, it wasn't, it was, because it's one of those movies where when you watch it without the 3D, you notice, oh, well, this was cool because of the 3D, but now it's just a bunch of crap on screen flying around, and it has no impact on me, and it's happening for way too long. Uh, and, and so I, th- I think that's the thing, is he was making it for that experience. You see it outside that experience, you, you don't get as much of it. And I think that's Tron. I think seeing it back in 1982 when it came out, it was awesome. Uh, Disney made this. This is so cool. And 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 now you look at it, with fresh eyes and you're just like it's it's garbage it's a garbage movie yeah i think that's actually a really good comparison um and i had to wonder too like just the the content itself so like computers were fairly new to everybody when mm-hmm. this thing came out and like the the basics of it like the the programs and the users like how many people actually know what the hell that is you know like you're an it guy joey like you know the concept to you is fairly easy to grasp but even like today like most people probably don't understand. Right. The, well, the everybody's context. a computer user now. Like literally everybody has a computer in their pocket. Right. And like, but people don't understand like that terminology and those terms. And like way back in 82 when stuff is like brand spanking new, like I really don't think people would understand that. So to like try to get people to understand like what a program is and what a user is and how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I think that they're asking a lot out of out of the audience, and yeah, I think a hundred percent what you're talking about, Joey, um, with seeing it for the first time. I bet yeah, there was a lot of wow factor because I'm pretty sure this was the first movie that actually used full CG, and then everything after that was, you know, it improved upon hopefully you know, <laughs> to some extent. But um, yeah, like the story itself was just a really kind of discombobulated and like like the biggest gripe that I have is at the at the end of it like the whole reason he is trying to go in there is to to prove that he stole my my games, you know, he he stole my software, my, my program and everything like that and then used Tron to to get it back and and yeah, Tron was in the end the main thing that that ended up beating the 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 MCP, the main control program. Uh, whatever master mm-hmm. control program, mm-hmm. um, but like other than that, like it didn't really have that that big of a thing. Like Flynn was the whole one that did it, and then in the end, like they beat the the MCP, and he gets sucked back out of the computer. Spoiler alert, Tom, because I know you were gonna go back and watch it to see if he got out of there. <laughs> but he gets you know sucked back out of the laser and like blasted right back into his chair, and then all of a sudden a printout comes that like says like you know <laughs> basically everything that he wanted. I'm like. Really? Like, he didn't even like. 
that's how he got the program back. You yeah. know, like that's how that's his proof. Was that yeah. a, a printout? I mean, he could have just hopped on his Commodore and like typed that up and printed it up. <laughs> See, here it is. I'm like, really? That's it? Like, come on, man. Right. What if the laser had spit him back out as like a sentient apple? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been cool. That would have been a great movie. <laughs> The Apple's a new CEO. <laughs> Just like bobbing around. I mean, if he has yogurt, he might take over the earth. It's a love, death, and robots thing. It's... I was going to say, I, I, I obviously didn't see that. So, Burns, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. Would you rather watch Avatar beginning to end or Tron looped probably two and a half times to be the length of Avatar? And you have to pay attention the whole time. I mean, I, I would... I would probably watch through Avatar uh, to actually see it through to the end. I don't know which one I would like more by the time I'm done with that, but... I would wager Avatar. Yeah. And the only other reason why I'd want to see Avatar is because, supposedly, Avatar 2, 3, and 4 are supposed to come out sometime in the next two decades. So, they've been in production since the first one ended, and I think they're supposed to start coming out sometime soon. So, I guess. We'll see. (laughs) Final takeaways on Tron. I'm going to kind of reverse what I've been saying this entire segment. Uh, I originally, my original thoughts were, if you've never seen this movie, there's no need to watch it now. And then I'd check out Legacy based on Casey's recommendation. But I think if you are a cinema buff and interested in the history of cinema and the evolution of cinema, there is something to be said for this being the first movie to really embrace CG. To like see the starting point, the pioneer. Uh, but if you're just like... Time is a finite resource, and you just like want to watch a good movie. Boy, you do not need to watch Tron. There right. are a billion other movies that you could watch instead of Tron. But as like a historical thing, like yeah, there's something there's something there if you're interested in the history of cinema. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been harmed a lot by time than the other movies on the list. Probably because it was so much more reliant on the CG than the other ones. Uh, and, and then the other interesting aspect of it that I had to tie it like back into video games is each of these movies had like at least a early scene in an arcade. And it's interesting to see everything connect back to arcades and how big and huge arcades were and arcade machines were back in the time. And now it's just like it's a novelty. Like if you unless you're like at Dave and Buster's, you don't really see arcade machines in the wild or else you do. And you're like, oh, wow, look at that. It's it's crazy that, that that's just that it's changed so much over time. Well, Bernsey, we uh, we are on the same plane, I think, for how much we love video games. And Casey, you're somewhere behind us, but you also love video games. Like, What if our only outlet was to go and pump quarters into gauntlet at the arcade like what if that was the only way we can interact with this medium that we will love like would we still be video game people no because like the pandemic would have killed video games for you killed us for going to the arcade yeah exactly yeah i could definitely say no i would not not play probably at all if i had to go somewhere away from my house to actually play i would just do other things that i could do at my house and enjoy it just as much. Mm-hmm. Do other things that you excel at, like archery or <laughs> horse racing or carving pumpkins. <laughs> Dressage. <Yes. laughs> Dressage. Horse dancing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's your next avenue. After the coaching's done, it's going to be dressage. <laughs> Casey, the most well-rounded individual on the planet, and you heard him here first on Outside is Overrated. 
Casey, your final takeaway is on Tron. <laughs> it was way cooler in 90, er, 1982 when I, when I first, well, I didn't first see it in 82. I was only two years old. But when I first saw it, you know, I thought it was cool. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people did way back in 82 as well. Uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't hold up to today's amazing CGI. That, and we're completely spoiled and we probably wouldn't have that without Tron. So I can't rip on it too much. So. Well, would, video games are constantly getting HD remakes, and I pose this question on hmm. other media. Is Tron in line for an HD remake? Is that something that we would be interested in? Well, it's owned by Disney, so it most assuredly will be in for an HD remake at some point, if not already is, uh, because Disney is all about reprinting money as much as it can, and they will do it with this at some point, I would think. I think unless they change a ton of the story just doing an HD remake is not going to change anything because the story itself is just not all that interesting mm-hmm. or put together well. So it, it would need a lot more to change <laughs> than just the HD. So if it, it's just a, a sprucing up and, and better CG, I, I, it wouldn't do a whole lot for me. Well, there you have it. There are our thoughts on Tron. Before we get out of here and I jump to a conversation on the Dark Tower with my sister, one of our supporters on Patreon, which is going to be a lot of fun, we are going to start something here that is going to carry over year to year video game movie show to video game movie show. We're going to rank these films, and the next time we do a video game movie show, we're going to combine those into the ranking until we have the definitive ranking of video game movies of all time from Outside is Overrated. Sounds good. Let's start with the low point, which... Which of these movies is going to be the lowest rated by Outside is Overrated between The Last Starfighter, War Games, and Tron? Tron. Gotta go Tron. Yeah. Tron. Yeah. Um, and I think the top choice is pretty clear, too. Like, War Games stands above yes. all of these movies. It'll be interesting to see just how far War Games ends up being ranked. Yeah. I, I think that's true. Uh, yeah. War, War, War Games is really good. I think, it, I, think it, I think it's far and away the better of the three. I would. I, I'm guessing it's going to be better than anything from the '90s because there are not a whole lot of good video game movies in the '90s. Oh, 2000s also. There's not a lot to go for there. Also, what if War Games is the best video game movie of all time? It's not. Sonic is a better movie than War Games. I, I, I would, I would, I would think so. I still think there's a better. I would say there's a better video game movie than that. But we'll have to save that for the future. Ooh, I can't wait. While Casey and Joey are going to get out of here, anything you guys want to say before we go? No. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Same here. Thank you for listening. (laughs) All right, you guys get the hell out of here. And uh, welcome my sister into the show. Now we're going to close the show down today with something kind of fun. We have a special guest on the show. Please welcome my sister, Summer Sidlachik. Summer, you're on the podcast. What are you doing here? I don't know, man. I feel like I took a wrong turn somewhere and all of a sudden just uh, ended up in your basement. It's the weirdest thing. Weirdest thing. But I got to tell you, I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you. You are here because you are a big backer of Outside is Overrated on Patreon. You pledge a big amount of money, and that means that you got to pick a show topic. So why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about today? Well, Tom, I tell you, I'd love to. So once upon a time, the Sidlachik siblings read this series of books called The Dark Tower. And one of my first memories of ever starting even in Stephen King was my little brother Tom, my big brother Larry, and my middle brother Jake talking about, ooh, there's a new book in the Dark Tower series. And I was like, what is that? But since we're all different ages, different viewpoints, like different things we like, 
We've spent most of our like adult lives living in different regions of the country. You live in Baltimore, by the way. I do. Thanks for remembering. Yeah. yeah. Good to see you out there a lot there, Tom. Yeah. yeah. Well, I lived there for a while, too. You did. You did. Yeah. We talked about your baseball experience. You actually lived in Bowie, Maryland, too. Yeah. Well, I never lived in Bowie. I worked in Bowie. I lived in Odenton. I lived in Annapolis. I lived in Baltimore. I lived in... Oh, shoot. I can't remember the last city. By the way, you can swear. It's fine. I just try to... You know, every time we swear, I put a little bleep over it. And it's just more work for me. So, you know, you can decide how kind of person you're going to be. Yeah. Hey, Tom, I actually, I've heard your bleep before. I was actually really excited about swearing on your podcast in your basement. Yeah, well, now you have your own. Good job. Don't ever f***ing do it again. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. So we're here to talk about the gunslinger, and we have a time-honored tradition on the podcast. You've only listened to one episode that I'm aware of, so maybe you don't know the gag, but every time someone new comes on the show, they have to tell me something nice about me and Outside is Overrated. What do you like about the show, Summer? I gotta tell you, Tom, I don't actually like the show that much. Oh. I like the articles. Oh. Oh, that's that's incredibly kind. I write a monthly column every month for OutsideIsOverrated.com. The rogue hippo, Pat DeGeese, contributes as well. You're laughing right now. Why are you laughing? I do like the show. I actually, Phoenix is my favorite part of the show, actually. She's, yeah, she's awesome. She's very good. And she always brings a viewpoint in. And then I see her commenting on the Facebook page, too, about like, yeah, you know what? I stand by my point. And I'm like, you go, Phoenix. You go. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome. We're going to talk about The Gunslinger today. We're going to talk about the book, mostly. <laughs> We're going to talk about the garbage train wreck movie for the last five minutes or so. I can't believe we wasted our lives on that. Oh, oh my God. Movie. We'll start with the book. You just looked this up. When did the book originally come out? So, Tom, it actually started as a series of um, short stories in 1978. Um, 1982, they actually put it all together for Stephen King's, one of his first novels. Interesting. So The Gunslinger, the, the novel itself is broken into five distinct like chapters, sections. So those were originally released as short stories? Yep. yep. I had no idea. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Stephen King does this a lot, actually. The Green Mile was released that way. Um, and he, as you know, he's got a lot of short stories out there, too, that are interesting. And one of the cute things that Stephen King does is um, tie his characters throughout books, and he has similar characters too. Like I'm reading The Stand right now. Roland is represented in someone else in there. Um, if you actually went further in the Dark Tower series, Eddie is represented as someone in there called Larry, which is fun for us because we have a brother called Larry, or yeah. I do anyway. I've met him. Yeah, you have. You have. But yeah, so a lot of times he does do that with the short stories and then come out with a novel of the full collection later. I, to my awareness, have never read a Stephen King short story as a short story. Really? You never read The Bonnie? Shawshank Redemption? Nope. Nope. Aft Pupil? Interesting. I think you would like those. I have seen the movie Stand By Me and the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption. So there's two movies from the 1980s that I've seen. Suck on that, Casey. 1994, I believe, was Shawshank, Tom. I ran against Forrest Gump, but it got trashed in the theaters for the Academy Awards. Interesting. I always thought it was a much older movie. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And no one actually saw it when it first... Well, I had a boyfriend who saw it. He was the one that tipped me off on the Oscars thing. But besides that, you know, Forrest ran. Yeah, yeah, Forrest, Forrest Gump was pretty good. I saw that movie too, so shut up, Casey. <laughs> so the movie, though, Tom, the movie didn't come out until 2017. Oh, we'll get to the movie. Okay. Let's start with the book. I'm going to give a real quick, uh, real quick synopsis of the plot. It has this killer opening line, the best opening line. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. It's a good open, right? It's a good start. I think it's one of my favorite opening lines ever. I can't name another opening line to a book, and I've read many books. 
It's funny, yeah, it actually sticks with you, too. I remembered it when I'm, it came up, and, and we're not going to talk about the movie yet. I hear you, Tom. I'm sorry. We'll get but there. They do say it in the movie, and I'm like, well, at least they had that. But they don't say it at the beginning, for Christ's sakes. Oh, we'll get to this dog crap movie. <laughs> it's so irritating, we can't stop it. We literally just watched the movie and then turned on the microphone, so it's so fresh and it's just so maddening in our minds. But the book, the book is good. The book is good. The book is good. Okay, we'll talk about the book. I'm so happy to talk about the book on my podcast. Is it that good? Maybe we should get into that. Yeah, it was interesting going back to it. Now, I first read this book when I was like a teenager, and I believe I was the first one in the family. I think I turned everyone else on to it. It uh, it doesn't feel very Stephen Kingy from the onset. I'll give a quick rundown of the plot, and then we'll pull out some different themes to talk about. There's that killer opening sentence, and then the main character, Roland, he's trudging across this desert. There's an interesting opening scene where he comes across a squatter in the desert, and he stops there to rest for the night and get a meal, and he doesn't know if it's actually real or if it's just an illusion cast by the man in black, some sort of trap that he's falling into. And that sense of, like, uh, not illusion, uh... Boy, my words are failing me right now. It's Ennui? surreal. Surreal. It's surreal, and that sense of surrealness kind of continues throughout the entire novel. So, in that first, I said so. That never say so on the podcast. You're doing so good, Summer. I oh said, wow! Yeah, good job. So, therefore, I hate that too. Using both of them at the same time. Anyway. Anyways, so is a bad word, and we will not say it again today. In the opening sequence. <laughs> Uh, Roland decides he needs to talk about the experience that he just had. He had just had a like a layover in this town called Tull, and the man in black had laid a trap for him there. And essentially, he had to mow down every man, woman, and child in this town with just his guns. And then he just backs up and goes trudging along back through the desert. After seeing the squatter, he uh, keeps going across the desert. He finds this way station as he's running out of water, and there's this young man, this boy, just stuck there so what do you do when you find a young boy trapped in the desert you bring them along on your epic quest together <laughs> they go trudging across the rest of the desert they go to the mountains they stumble across an oracle who just has been alone for a long time and just needs to get laid <laughs> yes this is true he actually goes into pretty much detail i have comments on stephen king's writing about you know the things he includes but yeah good yeah, good old sex oracle. They move past the desert. They go through through the mountains. The way is under the mountains. They encounter mutants. Roland has to make a major sacrifice. And then finally, at the end of the book, he catches up with the man in black so that he can get the answers that he's seeking. The gunslinger in two minutes. Yeah, I would say that was actually fantastic. And, you know... That movie being a short movie, too, you know, maybe they could have trimmed down to that, too. Maybe about two minutes, something like that would have been good. Yeah, it would have been a great TikTok video. Yeah, great TikTok, been... sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we both went back to this book for the first time in ages right. to prepare for this show. What stands out to you now as an adult, as a 40-something-year-old person who is going back to a novel that you loved 20 years ago? Well, and this is a novel that actually got me into Stephen King, because like you said, it wasn't a very Stephen Kingy beginning. I thought he was all horror, so... I was excited to go back. I'd never gone back to read the Gunslinger, but I have read the other Dark Tower series books before. The thing that struck me the most is his writing. I forget. Stephen King kind of writes like a 15-year-old boy. You know, he goes into like, you know, cock and balls. He goes into, okay, so Roland was like, well, I guess I have to f*** this succubus, you know, just to make sure I can save Jake. 
Um, it's it's kind of interesting to go back into that. It made me think, oh, I, I read this at 22. Yeah, totally different vibe now. Yeah, now I realize why it resonated with me so much at that age. <laughs> sure. He was writing exactly for my brain. Nice yeah. job, Stephen King. Yeah. I was curious if this would actually carry on through most of his other books. So like I said, I read The Gunslinger and I started reading another one of his classic ones, The Stand. He does mature a little bit in his writing. It gets a little better. The Stand is about 1989 when he finished that one. Well, when did this book come out again? This book was, uh, so the first short story was 78. For, the book was actually 82. So he was a young man when these came out. Like oh, yeah. He had to be like 18, 19, 20. So it's interesting that he has matured as his words have matured. And he, he's actually gone through some life journeys, too, if I remember right. So the gunslinger starts out. He's trying to figure out, you know, do I have to be the next Tolkien? Do I have to be the next this or that? He's got a great intro in the newer editions of the book now where he's talking about, I just wanted to write this epic saga. And then he realized, I just want to write. So he just laid it down. So I could totally see where he would evolve in that, too, over time. He almost went the George R. R. Martin book. He wrote mm-hmm. the George R. R. Martin route. He wrote four books, and then there was a long, long, long layover between Wizard and Glass and Wolves of the Kala. Turns out he had been hit by a car and nearly died, and then he decided, I better finish this thing. I'm like, all right. Well, thanks. Well, here's the other thing. He not only got hit by a car, van, I guess, whatever. He put it in the books. I'm telling you, not to spoil anything, but it's 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 spectacular. <laughs> a little ego. I you say it's spectacular. I thought it was a little quirky when you started interacting with his characters. Yeah. Well, I think it's just the, the manifestation of like, I'm so cool, I'm going to write myself and Tolkien didn't do that. Suck it. <laughs> yes, yeah, suck on that, Tolkien. <laughs> Turning over in his grave. Take that, Tolkien estate. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, the, the other thing that came to me with reading The Gunslinger, it's it's a shorter book, right? I mean, it's 300 pages. It's not a tiny book, but... You think The Hobbit compared to The Fellowship of the Ring is 300 compared to what, like 450, 500 pages. This book seems like a pilot. Oh, sorry, go Quick ahead. clarification. It's the same size as The Hobbit. The Hobbit to The Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit is like one-eighth of The Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, we'll put it in perspective. But the thing I was thinking was like The Gunslinger is... You know, it introduces Roland. It kind of gives a hint of how could he possibly love Jake? He falls in love with this kid... Not that way. He's not that creepy. But, you know, as a parental figure and really cares for him. And yet he comes from a place where it doesn't seem like he can love. He hints at it. Everything is a teaser. It seems like this book is a pilot. Like, you have to have the rest of the series. And if it didn't go, I think that would have been cool, too. Just let our minds wander. How could the series have actually gone? But he did finish it. He did go through with it, which is what makes this book special, I think. And thank goodness he did finish it. One thing that stands out to me is... The environment, it progresses through a couple of different environments, but they're all hellish. They're all hellscapes. Like, the majority of the book is spent in this hard pan desert. And then they move on to, they end up in the mountains for the last, like, chunk of the book where there's no lights. They're just trudging along in the dark, and they find these, like, glow-in-the-dark mutants. And it's just... It's an interesting setting because it's kind of... It's almost like urban fantasy. Like, you don't know how it's related to our world. You don't know how his world is unique in itself. There are definitely ties between the worlds. There are things like a gas pump or there's trains or like there are things that we take as everyday technology that are just ancient relics in this world. So it's like, is this earth just way down the line? Is this some other place? Like how, how does this stuff get here? And that the setting is one of the things that has always drawn me to the book. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic kind of hints, right? And he keeps saying, you know, the world has moved on. It used to be this. Like, we used to have beautiful peach trees and beautiful 
birds and grass everywhere and now it's just an arid desert everything was destroyed because the world has moved on and they never say why the world has no, moved on they never do one thing that they did and that stephen king did in this book that i am generally not a fan of non-sequential storytelling generally speaking i like when a story goes from a to b to c to d oh it's so boring tom come on I am a very, like, straight line and efficient person, Summer. Sure, sure. Like, that's just how I like to process my information. Like, I like to know what happens. I like to know the order that it happens in. For instance, I'm reading a bunch of Witcher short stories now, and they jump around, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, there are just these <laughs> jarring differences between these characters. Like, what the f*** happened? Yeah. Can you just tell me what happens and then, like, how it ends? I mean, I hear what you're saying with that, but there's a little bit of adventure and mental agility. You can test yourself, you know, when you're going back and forth. Generally speaking, not a fan of mental agility. <laughs> okay. But this book does it so well. There are instances where Roland will open up to Jake primarily about his past. You find out about his boyhood, about his coming of age, how his kingdom fell, how he kind of became the last gunslinger. And I think those sections are done really well, particularly when he actually has to like pass his final trial to become a gunslinger. Do you want to talk about that scene at all? And... Oh, I love his final trial. So, you know, Roland finds out that he's kind of betrayed by his by his mother. You know, his father is cuckolded. He finds out that one of the trusted advisors is just, you know, bad news. It turns out to be the man in black, right? Was that a spoiler? Can I say that? Is Maybe. he the man in black? I don't think he's the man in black. I thought the man in black was his lackey. No, I think the man, he is the man in black. But, so yeah. now this is a thing we have to think about. Like, or I'm sorry, not think about, but you know, whatever. Figure out. I thought the same guy that was his mom turned out to be the man in black. I don't think it was. Maybe that's revealed later. Hmm. That's interesting. I thought that was like Marlin or Martin and the man in black was Walter. No, man in black. Kids... So here's the thing with Stephen King. Man in Black is called many different things throughout. So maybe that's me thinking about him in different books and different forms with different names. So maybe that's where I got messed up. We'll just have to figure it out afterwards and argue about it later, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's a confusing thing. Like... It's a confusing thing. You know, and Roland was confused too, you know? So he's all revved up. He feels betrayed. Yeah, he was I'm... going up to masturbate. He, he was, was going <laughs> up to masturbate. And this dude, like... <laughs> Just gets in his head and like jerks him around and Roland's like, all right, I'm not going to masturbate. I'm going to become a man. And he goes, yeah. That's exactly right. This is Stephen King. This is your 15 year old writing this novel. <laughs> but it's brilliant. I love it. So he has, oh God, I said it again. He changes course. He decides to go track down his instructor, this brutal old man named Court, who basically beats the boys until they're hardened into gunslingers. And uh, the way you become a gunslinger is you have to beat Court in single combat. You get to choose one weapon, and you square off in this little hallway, and if the gunslinger defeats Court and takes his stick, he becomes a gunslinger. And he takes his stick. <laughs> I take your stick, man. But in essence, yeah, nice summation. Yeah, well, Court said no stick will be taken today. <laughs> If the gunslinger apprentice fails to defeat Court, he is exiled. He can never come back. The moment that you challenge the teacher, you no longer have a family. You no longer have a home. You no longer have, like, a history. You either become a gunslinger or you become an exile. Yeah, that's that's actually... I mean, I feel like that's the epic hero's kind of quest always, right? Like, you always have to give up family and home. But you know what? He actually does a really interesting thing when he challenges him, too. Like, again, this mental agility. He's a smart dude. He's not just a shoot-and-fire kind of guy. Can I say what he did? Am I spoiling the story? The story is like 30 years old, 40 years old. I, if someone hasn't read it by now, they're probably not going to. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about everything in the gun story. <laughs> 
okay, we'll get it done. Yeah, so he takes his hawk, David, his hawk, um, or falcon, whichever one. I get confused with the big birds, but big bird, aggressive bird, who actually bites his owner too. So Roland takes him in there. He's like, I'm going to fight you, Court, but so is David. And Court's like, really? You know that bird's going to die. And he's like, so will you, or something to that effect, <laughs> right? Bird totally goes ham on Court like crazy, just going right at him, pecking at him, like going at his eyes. Court, of course, gets a good swing in there. You know, knocks the bird down. Roland's hitting on him, too. Finally beats Court probably within, I don't know, maybe half a foot of his life. I wouldn't say an inch, but he wins. And his friends are there, and they're like, God, man, you're I can't remember. He's like 14 years old. He is 14 years old, the youngest that has ever done it. Yeah, younger than his father, even. By right? two years. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine being a 14-year-old boy beating the shit out of your advisor with a hawk that usually pecks on you? Like, like this is crazy. But he does it. The gunslinger. You know, he should be like the falcon slinger at that point. But... <laughs> well, you know, you have to use the falcon to earn the guns. <laughs> sure you do. That's just how sure it works. That's how video games work too, Summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, that's the problem. I should play more video games. Yeah. Yeah, you should. And that, I think, is what makes Roland so interesting as a protagonist. He is just unrelenting. He is unyielding. And you learn through the course of the gunslinger that he is literally willing to sacrifice anything and anyone to accomplish his goal to catch right. the man in black. Right. I think one of the other interesting things about him too, like he's he's unrelenting, he's loyal, he goes through, he's going to accomplish his mission, but one of the challenges is he's not the bee's knees. He's not the best at everything, right? He has a hard time like sharing his emotions. And I know you think a hero, why should he have to share his emotions? Well, it's important when it comes to having to give up, say Jake in this story, he can't even tell him what he feels. And Jake's like, fine, there are other worlds than this and slips right on down between the tracks. And that kicks Roland in the <laughs> for the rest of the series <laughs> for life, you know, losing his friends. I, I, I mean, that's there, there are other things that he's not the best on, but they slipped my mind, Tom. They slipped my mind. He's not the smartest. He's not the he's brightest. Not the he's, there's, he talks about how his other compatriots, the other boys of his age who were in his cotet as a kid, were either more intuitive or brighter or sharper or had more of the touch. And he was just, his his like claim to fame was that he was unrelenting and unyielding. Yeah, and he was, he was a slow but a th- solid thinker. A plotter. A plotter. Yes, P-L-O-D-D, not P-L-O-T-T. Yeah, the man right. in black would be the plotter. Yes, the plotter and the plotter. Nice. That's what they should have called this book. Plotter and the plotter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so much of a better ring than the gunslinger. I totally would have picked that one up. The plotter fled across the desert and the plotter <laughs> followed after. <laughs> huh? It's magic, right? Great first line. Yeah, yeah. great first line. That's, yeah. what, that's what they always oh, teach man. the author books. If only Stephen King hadn't beaten me by 40 years, man, I'd be rich right now. <laughs> Be rich right now, not just off your money. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Roland is the protagonist. The Man in Black is the antagonist. Did any of the other characters in this book stand out to you? Mostly, there are side characters. I'd say three main characters: Roland, the Man in Black, and Jake Chambers. Jake Chambers, absolutely. I keep thinking back to that squatter, though. You know, when we were having that surreal time, you didn't know if he was. You know, they talk about an ancient form of monks that kind of speak in a certain way, and Roland has followed their religion to a certain point past some levels and that enables him to go across this barren desert this awful like sun torturing desert um without drinking without eating for a long time because of that monk's training and that's what that squatter on the side of the road was or on the side of the desert was and i can't help but think alan tudyk would play that character oh my god he would have right with the red hair and he's like 
can't please piss on my corn. We need all the water we can get to make it grow. Nathan yeah. Fillon could be Zoltan. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Nathan Fillon, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be another character that stuck out with me. But but really, it is. It's the man in black. We're learning about him at this time, too. But he's a slippery sucker, man. Like, he changes around all throughout the series. So I want to go back and find out who that wizard was, whether he was the man in black or whether he was the man in black's leader. Here come the man in black. <laughs> we like singing on the show. It's interesting with the man in black and the antagonist, Eventually, Roland catches him. At the end of the book, the last section of the book, it's just them one-on-one, and they're talking. Like, yeah. they just talk it out. I didn't get through the last 20 pages in time to record this, but it's such an interesting, and it felt like anticlimactic ending to this book. It sets up the rest of the Dark Tower series, but as far as, like, an ending... Yeah, I, I didn't know where it was going to go to because I had forgotten so much. But I got to tell you, man, there is so much foreshadowed in this book that I just forgot. I didn't realize they talked about his love coming up on Wizard and Glass. I didn't realize they talked about, you know, how the entire demise of his friendship came up. I thought that was just something else. I mean, Stephen King says when he, he writes these books and he gives authors series like lectures to young authors, I never know where it's going. Well, he sure had an idea with this, you know, by the time he finished in what, 2000 four whatever it was 20 30 years later he had an idea yes he definitely had an idea the fourth book wizarding glass is basically a flashback to roland's childhood and is referenced so many times in this book and like you know catch that the first time reading it i read this book probably three four five times because when a new book in a series comes out i have to go back to the beginning and read all the way from the beginning Wow, so you really don't like jumping around, do you? No, no, I really do not. Yeah, all right. So I'd been through this journey a few times, but this is the first time in probably two decades for me, and it was fascinating seeing those other call-outs. There are call-outs to another race that is introduced in like the fifth, sixth, seventh book, like later on in the series, the Tahin, there's like a raven dude. Yes, yes. And it's like in the first pages, I'm like, oh, wow. Wow, I didn't think that these would be tied together that much yeah he does well that was the thing i was saying before in all of his other books he ties a lot to the characters either the same character will appear in different books or it'll tie to someone who's a very similar like almost like someone from a different dimension who plays the same human they just have different names but many of the same personality traits that's interesting do you like that i i haven't read enough stephen king to have a feel for how that actually like works in practice i don't feel like i would like it though well it's so it's kind of cool in some instances and it kind of sucks in other you know it depends on how good the book is in the stand i like it you know i read the stand probably after wizarding glass he hadn't come out with wolves of the kala at that point but uh then i read the stand and i could see oh my gosh eddie's alive and well <laughs> like he's in here he's doing stuff totally different you know kind of similar vibes and he does that but then he actually has portals to the same world too which is fun roland and uh his quartet actually end up in the world of the stand whatever dimension that is and they're walking through some of the scenery that you saw these people trudge through with you know horror back in the day and you're like whoa that's pretty cool the worlds can't collide because everything goes around the dark tower bringing it all back to the dark tower i feel like that's his kingpin there must be a term for that like the mecca of your entire artistic series. There's one that ties it all together. Yeah, it is Ka. It is Ka. We are Kate. <laughs> it's interesting. Having not read a ton of Stephen King, I remember those references. Like I, There was something about The Stand that made me realize that it was The Stand. And I realized when he was stumbling into a couple of other books, especially with the later books, it didn't do much for me. It didn't detract from the experience. But I was like, oh, 
Yeah, I guess things are all connected. Interesting. Yeah, it's all connected. What do they say? That actually comes from something. It's all connected. It's all connected. Is it Charlotte's Web? It might be Charlotte's Web. Yeah, because yeah. it's a web. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I think it was a crappy TV show I was watching, but, you know, guilty pleasure. Anyway, are we going to get to how it's connected to... Oh, so close. A real quick top three Stephen King novels in your opinion. In my opinion, I got to say The Stand, Wizard and Glass, and I am a sucker for The Long Walk, man. Was that part of The Green Mile? No, no. The Green Mile is good, but you know, the movie's the exact same. Shawshank's the exact same. I'll just go with the movie because I like the characters, or the uh, actors. No, The Long Walk... I don't like the Stephen King horror. That's my confession. I would never have read them if Tom hadn't started talking with Jake and Larry about the gunslinger. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like horror. And then I took off. I read a lot of Stephen King. That's exactly why I got into the gunslinger, too. Like, was it really? Yeah, Stephen King was supposed to be cool. Our mom had a couple of Stephen King books, but like they were all scary. And like, I don't oh, Carrie interact with a lot of... Yeah. I don't interact with a lot of horror. I did read Carrie. I did... Uh, like I, I was much more interested in Stephen King's take on a Western... Yeah, for sure. Well, and he always brings in that, like, um, the fantasy kind of thing, too, right? He's always got a little bit of fantasy world, which I like. Well, he has a straight-up fantasy novel, right? Yeah. With, like, dragons? Yeah. Have you read that? Larry's read that. Larry's, yeah, Larry, uh, I'm sorry. I'm remembering one with the dragon's egg that came off of another one that was, like, a play. That, what was it called? Something with a kid called Pete or something. Anyway, I can't remember. Puff the Magic Dragon? Puff the Magic Dragon, yeah. 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 No, I guess I've read some of his horror. I've read Carrie, Pet Cemetery, scared the bejeebers out of me. Oh my God, that book was creepy. Yeah, no, I didn't read it, but the movie was playing during a Christian oh. lock-in. They were playing Pet Cemetery. Who yes. is raising these kids? That <laughs> uh, was in the beautiful town of Mora, Minnesota. Sure was, sure was. Calvary Lutheran. Yeah. Shout out to my, to my Calvary homies. <laughs> You want to pour one out for the homies? Yeah, pour one out. You're so communion wine. I'm pouring it on a wafer. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget where I was going with that. Oh, I read The Shining. Didn't particularly care for it. I've only watched the movie once, too. And, like, I understand that it's regarded as, like, a cinematic masterpiece. Didn't do much for me. Yeah, it's a Kubrick thing. Um, I did like the book. And that book actually ties pretty closely into The Gunslinger a few times. But the psychic thing, but I love that psychic stuff, you know? He's, like, connecting on to the guy down there who's coming back up to save him from the mountain resorts trap. Been a while. Yeah. I yeah. just remember the impression that I had. Yeah, the movie did not include much of the psychic at all, I don't think. It was just Jack Nicholson. Yeah. That was too bad. Yeah. So, oh, God, I said it again. Wow, Tom, do you want to cut that part out? All the sews? You want to cut all the sews out? This is why you don't tell your sister about the running gags before you record the show. <laughs> no, I can't cut them out now. You told me to cut them out. <laughs> I mean, you asked me if I could cut them out, so I guess I could go back and cut them out. But in the spirit of the joke, no, now everyone has to hear my failures as a host. Thanks, Summer, for making me feel inadequate on my show. Oh, no. Oh, my no. brother. I almost said it again right there. <laughs> Right before we recorded this, we watched the Dark Tower movie. Summer, when did this come out? This came out in uh, 2017. 2017. Now, the Rogue Hippo, my good friend Patrick, he reviewed this for OutsideIsOverrated.com. The Rogue Hippo savaged this movie. He gave it a three. And you know what, Summer? 
He might have been too high. Yeah, I got to agree with that, Pat. I don't know what you were thinking, giving us such high praise there. High praise. You gave it a three. Are you out of your mind, Patrick? What is wrong with you? Are you a broken human being? I don't know, man. I got to say, Pat, like there was one redeeming point of this, and I'll, I'll come to that, but unless you saw that, I don't know what you were seeing. The Dark Tower movie. <sighs> it inspired a lot of hope because... The main characters, Roland is played by Idris Elba, and the man in black is played by Matthew McConaughey. Those are all the positives from the film. That is pretty much it. And even, you know, I was looking up who wrote this god-awful screenplay. Five people in there, and even the guy who wrote it, he was like, you know what? I'm not happy with how it came out. Idris Elba was good. Like, that, that worked out well. But besides that, like, he wasn't even happy about it. Nothing about this movie was good. No. There wasn't a single aspect of it that I like. You expect the opening of the Dark Tower movie to take place following Roland in the desert. Fair? Well, that, that's the best opening I've ever seen. Absolutely you would. And I didn't know how they translate that great opening line from the book into the screen. But I was optimistic. There was a scene from Tull early on in the book that I thought, oh, McConaughey's going to kill it in this scene. And like I called it before. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Down wasn't even in the movie. That like whole encounter, like it took up a good third of the middle of the book. Yeah, it's a big, big thing. It was such a strange conglomeration of things from the entire Dark Tower series, and I get it that it's called the Dark Tower. (laughs) You brought up The Hobbit earlier. They took The Hobbit, a relatively short kids' book, and made it into three three three-hour, absolutely repulsive films. Thank you. gonna say there's nothing that pisses me off more than ruining good literature by either making it too big or smooshing it all together or not taking the time like it's crazy so both of these are failures in at least that aspect this was an eight book series roughly i don't know 2400 pages probably more than 2400 pages to work with and they came up with a 90 minute film that is just this wonky disjointed mess here are the correlations to the source material Character names, Roland, Jake Chambers, and the man in black, although he's often called, I think, Walter in this. Yeah, Walter, but I thought it was Walther in the book. W-A-L-T-H-E-R. Or maybe they pronounce that Walter. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I mean, we could go get the book, but we're already rolling, so... uh, Yeah, let's just keep going. We're just going to go with it. There are little snippets here and there from the source material that are conveyed on the screen. And like, I get it. You want to have some creative license. You don't want to do a bland interpretation. You just mentioned that like the Green Mile and the other Stephen King movie, Shawshank, were exactly exactly what was presented Dialogue. on the pages and yeah. that it was a turnoff for you. But this was such a wild departure. Like there was nothing that like connected to the source material other than the character names. Well, they did use the first line of the book, Tom. They put it really conveniently right in the middle of the god film. Yeah, somebody where it means nothing. Somebody just said it. It's like, oh, good. Well, there's a, there's an homage. Great. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. We have one line from the book and three character names. We're doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I kept thinking. I was like, so first off, all I kept thinking was, oh my god, why, why? But but when I took out beyond that, um, even a person who is not a fan of Stephen King, who has not read the books, who has not heard about the books, would be watching this thinking, what is going on? It starts in a strange place. It takes off slow. And it ends with some weird resolution where 
all of a sudden this gunslinger of unknown age, he could be 150 like Aragorn, he could just be like 40, 30, something like that, decides to take on a 13-year-old kid who's actually being played by like a 17-year-old kid. He's too small for his age. Hey, you want to hang out with me? Oh, by the way, you're a gunslinger. Meanwhile, I had to beat the shit out of my advisor with a freaking hack in order to actually get this and then haul him back to his room. But no, you can be a gunslinger because you, I don't know, mind melded with me. Hey, he learned how to shoot by just reciting the gunslinger code. Nine lines and he went from like shooting straight up in the air to shooting a can. That's pretty impressive. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. It was just, it was crazy. And then, you know, think about the fact too. So I told Tom this, maybe this is a little deeper. You've got a couple of deep things too. Jake Chambers shows up in this book, not as a primary character. He does have a role, an important role, but he is not the primary character. Primary character is Roland, yet he starts this movie. In the book, he is taken. He is taken and pushed under a bus and killed, and then he ends up in a different dimension in his own place where he can't escape. He has no choice but to follow Roland, to help help be with Roland, whatever, and get out. And then he dies again. And then he's brought back again. And he doesn't even know if he lives or dies. And Roland control, he has no control over his life. He has, his parents don't care. He's raised by nannies. And all of a sudden in this book, he's got a loving mother and lost his dad. And you know what? I'm going to choose to go to this portal. I'm going to check this out like a detective. No, completely different. It completely changes the vibe. Speaking of changing the vibe, the man in black in the source material, like he is, he's just going along his way. He is on a set path to his destiny and he's just spinning up traps for Roland behind him. Just like torment after anguish after unfortunate situation, one after another after another. In this film, in this dumpster fire that is a film, <laughs> he uh, he's trying to destroy the Dark Tower. Let's back up for a second. We're going to spoil the entire Dark Tower series here. So if you're interested in the books at all, you know, thanks for listening. Catch you next month. But in the books, Roland is on this epic quest to get to the Dark Tower. And at the eighth book, he does. And the very end, you find out that he is caught in like this endless loop. Like he is Yes! Forced- the Wheel of Time! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My daughter is trying to sleep above us as we record this. This is going to be an interesting night. <laughs> But essentially, he gets to the end of his quest, and he just starts all over again. It's like, oh, what a dude. Like, I didn't particularly love the ending, but I respected it for being an interesting take. And it's like, oh, well, it's like, uh, what's the Greek character that has to roll the rock up the hill? Yeah, I For all time. Yeah. Yeah. Forget. Sisyphus? Or is that syphilis? You're syphilis. You're syphilis. You're Sisyphus. Shut up. (laughs) It's good sibling time. No, dude, but I I thought that was the only way that something this epic could end. You know, and Stephen King has a tendency to, I'm not going to, I shouldn't critique his entire work, but he does have a tendency to rush. He publishes a lot of freaking books, some better than others, some more thought out. This series got rushed in the middle. Not, you know, David Benioff ruined the entire Game of Thrones series in the last two, but, you know, but he did rush it. So when he came to that and that was the ending, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense because everyone gets a chance to try again. And you notice when Roland went through that door again, with the no horn. memory, he had the horn. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shit. It is very interesting. It gives you just a grain of hope that maybe this time, you saw the second to last time that this time Roland's going to be able to overcome everything. Was he trying to take down the tower? Was he just trying to get to the tower? I can't remember exactly what his end goal was. Yeah, I can't remember that either. But he's on this quest to get to the Dark Tower for eight freaking books, and he he gets there. So coming back to this awful, awful, awful form of media, the movie The Dark Tower, (laughs) 
the man in black is just trying to blow up the Dark Tower. And how do you blow up the Dark Tower at the nexus of all things, Summer? You obviously get children to think really bad thoughts and, uh, you know, direct it at the Dark Tower. Yeah, you turn them into a laser. You turn those bad thoughts, you into like melt laser. their brains into a laser and you shoot it at the Dark Tower. It's That's the laser. only way you could take down. Well, actually, Tom, now that you explain it like that, it makes total sense because my thought written down right here was Man in Black now has henchmen? <laughs> like Austin Powers and Dr. Evil. Get some freaking laser beams on their heads. This took an Austin Powers turn. That's all I can say. Like, that's... How did how did he get henchmen? And it wasn't even, like, supposed to be funny. Like, it was... This was trying to be, like, a serious take no, in the Dark Tower. No, it was funny. Sad yeah. funny. But still funny. Like, oh, <laughs> funny. Yeah. He has all these henchmen, and instead of, like, just walking along his predetermined path to destiny, he is playing Mr. Detective Man in Black. Like, yeah. trying to together all the clues and track down chambers across dimensions and the like he just warped your, your world but oh you just walked into his parents house and oh man where could he go next hmm sit here and brood and stare into my stone that they had in wizard and glass and <laughs> torment rolling a little bit and, oh god he went back to his parents house again why didn't i think of that like he's not a freaking sorcerer right like that's <laughs> that's just the entire thing like they they make him more human i guess and yet also how how did he freaking die he got shot by bullets. Yeah, he got shot by bullets. And then, you know, the ricochet, like like Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood cartoon, you know, where he hits the one arrow and someone grabs his leg in the back, so he hits another one and it ticks down. That's how the gunslinger got the evil sorcerer, Walter. Walter. Walter the sorcerer. Come on, Stephen King. Give us some help here. It's a name that inspires fear. Right? Walter. Well, Walter White. There we go. Yeah, and Walter the goldfish and Penelope Rex. Yes! <laughs> We don't eat our classmates. You're right. Walter the goldfish. His dinosaurs are delicious. Dinosaurs are delicious. Oh my gosh, you've cracked the code, Tom. You know what? I'm going to start looking for Walters that are evil and start pegging their pictures on my wall. Yeah, that won't be creepy at all. No. <laughs> and while we're ragging on the three main characters from this film, Roland. Roland is the protagonist of this series. The plotter, like slowly, methodically working his way to the Dark Tower, overcoming any obstacle, no matter how gut-wrenching, no matter how heartbreaking. And he's just kind of wandering around. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill that man in black. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not particularly working hard to find him, not tracking him in any way, not pursuing him. So now here's where we're going to come to my most redeeming part of the film. The only redeeming part of the film. So first, There were no redeeming parts of this film. I think there is one. There's one thing they did cinematography. I've been drinking a lot, by the way. This glass of water is going right to my head. They ended it? They rolled the credits? Is that the redeeming part? (laughs) That's what it was. No, so we, we see Roland and his dad, who is President... David Carson Palmer or just Carson Palmer? President Carson Palmer from 24. David Palmer. Carson Palmer was a quarterback in the NFL. For... I knew I said Carson Palmer. President <laughs> David Palmer. In the middle of this <laughs> movie, you said freaking Carson Palmer. I'm like, he hasn't played in like five years. <laughs> That's fantasy football season, folks. All right. So he's he's there with his dad, um, you know, and they're reciting this gunslinger poem, which is a little silly, a little long, and his hands are shaking. Roland, I'm talking about. His hands are shaking. He's not doing it. So I'm like, okay, he's not going to be the epic character, or the epic character, not epic. But then the redeeming part of the film, they're in the village, which doesn't exist in any book anywhere with a seer, and Jake has been taken by one of the bad guys, and the bad guy is way across the village, going past all these clingy, clangy, loud things, going up a hill, going past corners. And Roland stands there, 
And all of a sudden, you just hear everything slow down, and he's listening, he's listening. And this, to me, is what a gunslinger should be. This was a realization of, if Walter is a magician and a sorcerer, the magic of the gunslinger has to be more tactical, right? It has to rely more on your senses, but maybe heightened awareness, you know, maybe a sixth sense in there. He takes his gun up, and based on sound, everything, he doesn't even look. It's like the force coming for Luke. He just shoots, and he gets the guy. That was a redeeming care. If that could have been built out more... If that could have been what he was, that I could have bought. You explained it very well. In the moment, I'm like, oh, my God, that's so stupid. It shot through, like, five things. It's like <laughs> through a wall, through a tree, off a plant, ricochets off a rock, and hits the dude, like, 5,000 yards away as he's running through the forest with a child. But that wasn't filmed, though. It could have been like that. But the way they did it, where they slowed everything down, and then they did it in rhythm again, and then they showed how it went. And it's like, this is how your sound progresses. This is how your sense goes, man. I was like, yeah. I felt the zen. I wish that they would have. Uh, I wish that they would have made that more believable for me because it was a cool moment. And the way the effect of them slowing it all down, I thought you're right. That was cool. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I feel redeemed now too. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, the cinematographer. Yeah, what is that word? Cinematographer today. <laughs> cinematography thank you yeah it was pretty good in this film like it looked cool like the settings were interesting i would have preferred a little bit more barren desert as most of the gunslinger was took place there but i mean visually it looked interesting it looked the production values were decent on this awfully written hunk of garbage yeah really it was the writing that's that's the entire thing like even the actors couldn't do any i thought matthew mcconaughey did good as a man in black in certain ways you know, he was evil enough without making it personal. That's just who he was. Like, I like that aspect. But, oh, my God, the writing. Like, he cares. Like, he's, like, taking this woman's face and putting her down. He's like, well, I guess I'll figure out where Jake is. Like you were talking about. It was just, you couldn't do anything. Even with good actors, I feel like you couldn't do anything. Something dumb they did. You have all of the cinematic tools in the world, all the special effects in the world to demonstrate magic. He said a word. He's like, stop breathing. And dude, like, <laughs> True. True. Stop like, Calm. Angry. <laughs> kill each other. Like, all of his spells were just like a spoken word. It's like, that was so stupid. It really helped us, the obviously stupid viewers who watched the damn film. And thank you, know, Jake, Tom, sorry, Tom turned to me and goes, thank God we didn't pay for this. I'm like, yeah! Yeah. And Pat paid to see this in the theater and he still gave it a three. Oh my gosh, Pat, man, I... You know, I was really excited to go and see your comedy show after seeing Tom's brilliant article, you know, with the advice that he gave you for tips. I'm sorry that we can't do that. But after hearing, like, your review on this, now I feel like I want to give you shit. Yeah, he deserves it. He deserves <laughs> it. Is there anything else we want to talk about with this film? Like, uh, you know, there was... There are so many things that are hopeful. There are so many iconic moments from throughout the entire series, and they tried to pull a couple of them in here and there. There is one in the books where Jake is trying to cross back over into Roland's world, and to do that, he has to go through this haunted house, and it's creepy, and the house becomes alive, and the house tries to keep him from going through this portal. And it happens in the movie, and it's like this big like wooden thing all these shards of wood are coming together to create this like tornado thing and it grabs it was a demon it was a demon guard yeah and it was i'm like oh this is kind of interesting and then jake says stop (laughs) please stop (laughs) it dies it just crumples down to nothing he killed him with kindness i guess that's possible (laughs) please stop sir So many stupid things. Just stupid banana nuts. Yeah. 
I, I this is 90 minutes of my life that I wish I had back. I would have rather put this 90 minutes into I think any media ever. Like I was always intrigued by this movie because I'm so fond of the original source material, but I can't think of anything that has ever been executed any worse. Uh, I mean, I saw Splice. You ever see Splice, that movie? Mm-mm. Adrian Brody? Oh, no. He he went from Oscar to, ooh, good. That's a bad one, too. I would probably watch that again rather than this. This just ripped my soul. I would watch Ice Spiders again before I watch this. <laughs> Ice Spiders. I didn't know that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's like this ski resort, and these mutant spiders come and kill everybody. It's terrifying. Mm, sure. They're yeah. different colors, and the different colors are different powers. Well, yeah, I, I don't think I would enjoy that. No, I think that might terrify me as well. As well as being dumb. You know, Tom, I did enjoy spending family time with you, though. You know, watching a movie together, looking at each other like, oh, Jesus, stab my <laughs> eyes. You know, these kind of things. But It was nice to go through this misery with somebody. So if you're going to watch this awful, awful movie, I I don't condone drug use. But, you know, if that is <laughs> thing, like you, you want to get high and watch something terrible, like, you know, this... That's maybe the only way you can enjoy this film. Yeah, and make sure you get it from the library, folks. Like, don't don't spend the money. Like, don't even get a Netflix membership. Cancel all. If they show it on Netflix, cancel. Just get <laughs> off of it. It's, it's not worth it. It is so bad. So bad. Pat gave it a three, and he was too kind. Mm. Yeah, it must have been a three out of, you know, 100 or something like that. I couldn't imagine. Oh, yeah, that, that'd so. be fitting. Yeah, that'd be yeah. about right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, way to crack the code, Summer. <laughs> That's what it was. While this is your big debut on Outsiders Overrated, you'll be going back to Maryland soon enough. Is there anything else you want to talk about revolving around the gunslinger or nerd pop culture? No, you know, Tom, I just appreciate that I got to have this little peek into your world, too, as a sister. It's a unique thing. But honestly, the fact that you've made, like, so many fun broadcasts, so many fun articles, I've actually learned a little bit. (gasps) Don't tell anyone. I've learned about nerd culture. I actually have superheroes I like now, too. We're a very welcoming people. You are a welcoming people. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for letting me be a part, man. Yeah, well, it was awesome having you here. That was my sister, Summer Sidlachik, joining me to talk about The Gunslinger. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Next month, we will be back with the much-anticipated Venom show that was supposed to be this month, except they kept moving the release date for the movie until it came like out in the month that it was supposed to do a show. Ah, this, this whole thing. This whole thing. Anyways, <laughs> for Hobbybox, Joe Burns, for uh, who else was on this show with me? For Dr. C, Casey Helene. We'll catch you next month. Stay inside, kids. Talk about how Tom sucks at drafting. I think I'm a very good drafter. I got Pat Mahomes, yo. And you got, uh, well, you kind of gumped into it. The, <laughs> the, the, the Ravens guy. I forget his name off the top no, of my head. I, <laughs> I take issue with that saying that I gumped into it. J.K. Dobbins had already torn his ACL. Gus Edwards is a productive back in the NFL, but he had never been the feature back for an entire season. So I assumed at some point he was going to miss some time and that the next guy up would get some play. Did I think that it would happen days later before the season even started? No, absolutely not. But I thought that was a great time to take a calculated risk to add some running back depth late in the draft. All right, fair enough. Moral of the story is Tom is super smart. (laughs) You win some, you lose some. With fantasy football, I just lose a lot more. Word. Mm Mm-hmm.
You know, the last time I was in the championship in the league, it I'm still so bitter over that season. Because I had the first pick, Casey had the second pick. We meet in the championship, and my first pick has the flu. He's playing the Vikings. It's Arian Foster. Uh, he's playing the Vikings, who had just an atrocious defense that year. I'm like, I feel pretty good about this. He has the flu. He fumbles on the first drive and doesn't play again. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other side, Casey had the second pick in the draft. Every other team in the league passed on Adrian Peterson twice. It was the year he, after he tore his ACL. So Every other nobody, team nobody passed had, on him had twice. Nobody had a clue how, how good he was going to be. Yep. I'm like, well... Falling all the way back to me in the second round. Got to take a chance. And Boy, he, was I glad I, he did. And that was your first championship beating me. <laughs> well, and, and, and really, back then, like, the year after an ACL, running backs were never good. Like, he was the first one to, like, actually have a phenomenal year, the year coming right off of an ACL tear. All I needed was for one other person from Minnesota to believe in our running back enough to take him before Casey could have him in the second round. That's all I needed. <laughs> Well, you may have done the same thing with me and Mahomes this year, Pat or Pat, Tom. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> One second. Recording again. <clears throat> Clear my throat. <clears throat> Loose. Ba 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 ba. Ba 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 Bran. Do ba ba. Do host. I don't know where. I, <laughs> I think you're going to. We're do doing host boss, yeah. Joey, not yeah. dues. Oh. Yeah. Or host. You just ruined the show, dude. Nah, it's, yeah. That's, that's, it's understandable. Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you guys look so much alike. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the the good comeback would have been calling him Dan or something. Then, you know, so you, you missed out on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought of it like tomorrow too, and I would have been. Like, oh, this is what I should have said to you. Text. 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 <laughs> 